Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It's March 27th, 2019, otherwise known as New Comic Book Day. And welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast. You're listening to episode number 383. I am your host, Steve Say. And joining me this week are Mr. Bob Ryer. Hello, I must be going. <laughs> okay, Joey Pacino is also here. I'm back, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> and... Staying up late with Sarah Miles. I can't feel half my face. (laughs) (laughs) I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Do we have more (laughs) dentistry talk? Um, Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, we don't have nitrous oxide at my dentist's. But what we do have is one of those like comedically large syringes (laughs) where they just where they just stick it in your face and they're like, nearly done. Nearly (laughs) done. Sit there and talk to you about it. (laughs) Yeah. And she literally was just injecting the stuff in my face for a full five minutes. Yeah, it has to, they have to go really slow with it. That's, yeah. I don't like that stuff. This is why I don't like going to the dentist. I read, oh. Okay, uh, anything else? No, that's all I got. <laughs> all right, so listen up. We have a very, very cool show for you this week. We have all the stuff that we normally give you, but we are going at it hard with guests this year and guess what we have another one joey would you please tell everybody who is stopping down at the show later on yeah this week we have um writer jackie ball uh she has written the third and fourth volumes of goldie vance over at boom and launched welcome to wonderland uh, which we've talked about on the show before also for boom studios um, and this past week at emerald city comic-con she released an interactive kind of uh like themed scavenger hunt comic serial bit of craziness at emerald city comic-con which she'll talk more about later um during the interview um so we're very very excited for that um interview with jackie speaking of emerald city comic-con i was also in seattle last week which is where emerald city comic-con was happening and i was so excited to go but i couldn't go to the emerald city comic-con at all instead i was going for like work stuff and for you know teacher training and things like that Mm -hmm. um and matt wood was like sneak out of sneak out of teacher training go to emerald city comic-con i was like (laughs) i take my job very seriously okay so unfortunately i had to miss um miss emerald city comic-con but Thankfully, we have Jackie on the show, and, and she'll talk a little bit about it uh, later as well. Um, but yeah, man, I've been out traveling for the last week. Sorry I missed the show last week. 
Well, you had very important business to take care of, man. I mean, you're getting your own movie. All right, that's enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's hilarious about that? Like, my dad texts me randomly. My father, okay. Oh, tell me he listens to the podcast. He does. He does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he does. He texts me Wednesday afternoon. So, like, I'm doing teacher training. So, like, I can't, you know, I can't listen to the show. And he texts me Wednesday afternoon, and the text says Salmon Grandy. Spelled S A L M O N G R A N D Y, bored on a Monday, <laughs> and I'm like, what the? What is this? What is this nonsense? And then I listen to the podcast, and I'm like, those fathermuckers on on this podcast. Oh my god, dude, you just you just proved my point. This is exactly why we do it for stories like that. It was that's uh, amazing, hilarious. And then when he picked me up at the airport on on Saturday. He was like, do you know where I got that from? Do you know where I got that from? I was like, yes, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all right. Our anyway, work is done here. We could just yeah, wrap it not, up right now. I was not pitching my Solomon Grundy musical. That's still in development, and it's not at a level yet where I can pitch it. Anyway, I won't get into that. Um, instead, I was in Seattle for, for some teacher training for a few days. Um, after it was done, I... Uh, you know, towards Seattle for a couple of days, I, I went to the Museum of Pop Culture, which was really, really cool. I just missed their Marvel exhibit, though. I'm kind of bummed about it. They still had all their Marvel, like, stuff in the gift shop. And I was like, oh, maybe there's hope. But they had closed it down already. Um, but that was okay because they still had stuff on, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all that, like, Seattle grunge. There was a Jimi Hendrix exhibit. There's also like cool. two – there are three awesome exhibits, one on science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Um, and they had like costumes and set pieces from like all these sci-fi films and horror films. I walked into the horror section and I was like, I made a terrible mistake. Um, <laughs> they had like – like they had like hanging like body bags and things like that in the serial killer section and the Texas Ooh. Chainsaw Massacre section. And I was like, no part of me wants to be here right now. Um, but they also had like a section on vampires. They had some like original Buffy memorabilia and, and props and things like that. So it was really awesome. Some really cool, like fantasy stuff about the origins of, you know, fantasy. Um, what are they called? Like the, like the, the delineations, like your, your, your type. What is it like the, your, your, you know, I'm not following you. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, you lost. like what you are. Like you're a ranger. You're a witch. You're a, you're class. Oh, you're, you're class. Oh, you're class. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I clearly wasn't paying attention. In the That's museum. all right. We got there. Um, so yeah, we did that. The Museum of Pop Culture was really awesome. If anybody's in Seattle and you're into like nerdy stuff, like check that out. It was really cool. Um, you are a bard. Yeah, man. That is what you would be. You would be a bard or a minstrel. I think that's what I. Oh no, I was a bard or a. Uh, um, it was like a. It was like scribe. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. It wasn't like the wizard. It was like the wizard's like helper. <laughs> like that's that's what I was. Um, <laughs> like I wasn't full on wizard or like magician. I was like the assistant. Um, uh, I took the test. Um, so I did that, and then I I saw some. I saw a play out there called The Woman in Black, which is like the longest running play in London, I think. Which is mm. really mm. really cool. They're on tour in the United States. That play was scary as hell too like jump yep. scares. I was te petrified. Um, I was scared to walk home. So I took a lift. Um, <laughs> the, uh, 
Seattle was great. And then I um, stopped at some comic shops. I'll talk about some stuff that I picked up at, at the two comic shops I went to in Seattle. And then I flew down to L.A. for a few days as well. Um, hung out with my friend who works for Disney theme parks. Um, he, I'm not allowed to talk about anything I saw when he took me to his office, though. It's all top secret, confidential. He took me past a building and he said, that's where the top secret stuff happens. And I was like, don't you work there? He was like, maybe. And I was like, okay. Um, yeah, it was like hangar 18 or area 51. It was was crazy. And it's crazy too, because you know, he, he, he's an engineer. So he's, he's worked, I'm probably blowing up his spot right now, but you know, he's worked on confidential stuff in the past, you know? But that was all government stuff. And he told me, he was like, when I was doing like government confidential stuff, like nobody cared except for like world powers, right? Like like (laughs) Russia cared. Mm -hmm. But like when he works for Disney now, everybody wants to know what he's working on. Like everybody wants to know what the next project is, what the next ride is. And, And he said that there's like this crazy like dark web of fans who like, talk about rumors of what the next ride is going to be at Disney. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's wow. totally. dark Disney web. It's totally. crazy. It blew my mind. Like- <laughs> theme park culture. We, I mean, we talk a little bit more about this later. I really would have liked to have gotten into the weeds, but I don't know that Jackie would uh, know stuff from this end of it. But there is some really crazy stuff that goes on in the theme parks, both it's people that wild. work there and have worked there. It's wild. And like, you know, you like you know about the tunnels and stuff and, and under Disney and things like that, but he was like, No, you don't you don't even know. And again, like I, I he couldn't he couldn't tell me any more than that. But I was like, You have the coolest job, you know? Like um I, I There's a reason they turn all the lights off in Space Mountain. It's crazy. Um, it's like House of Wax. There are real people in those yep. statues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I, I flew back, I saw us, and I read a bunch of books over the last couple of days, and I'm just kind of excited to be home. I'm I'm still on spring break, so I have the week kind of to myself to kind of just settle. I'm about to start my MCU rewatch. Uh, oh my god are you really doing that i'm doing it again you gotta do it no you're gonna skip some of them (laughs) no every single strange too all right dr strange is a bunch of nonsense (laughs) (laughs) that movie's all right okay um, it's terrible oh it's it's definitely not terrible it's not one of the best ones it's not i think my bottom is iron man 2 and then dr strange (laughs) okay but I'll have a new ranking after I watch all the movies. But anyway, that was my week. I'll talk more about some of the books I picked up in Seattle because obviously I had to go to some comic shops while I was out there. Um, Seattle, lovely city. Very nice. If anybody was in Seattle, living mm. out there, any of our listeners, you have a very lovely town. I was pleased to be there. <laughs> Are you going to go see Captain Marvel again as part of your rewatch? Um, maybe I saw it three times. So like, I don't know if I need to see it. I don't know, man. If you want to do the whole thing, like you said, I'll see it the day of, and then I'll just walk into Avengers. Endgame. It's <laughs> a good plan. I, I caught up to you, Joey. I saw it. Yeah. Saw it again yesterday. Did you see an IMAX? No, I saw it in my local theater oh, with nice. th- three other people in the middle of yesterday afternoon. Nice. Gave myself a little treat. And probably go again this Saturday with a group of people. It's so good. It gets yeah. better and better every time you see it. Yeah. You know, and absolutely. we talked about it when, when we were, when we did the review, but like that first time you're like, Oh, that was pretty good. But there's something about it that was a little off. And then you watch it again. You're like, no, that was actually awesome. <laughs> like it just gets better and better every time you watch it. Amen. On. I need to go and see it again. But I'm How glad many to be times back. for you. I'm still at one. 
Come on, bro. Listen, slacker. Listen, I got places to be. I got things to do, <laughs> and I'm very lazy. And I'm also trying to prepare a house for some guests. What is the uh, what is the countdown, Sarah? Twenty-eight days, nine hours, fourteen minutes. How do you know that exactly? Do you where is the where is the clock? Where's the countdown clock? Because there is an app on my phone which counts down to the time that my flight's going to take off. Wow. <laughs> and do you just have it on your like the desktop of your phone? No, I just have it open in the background so that when I'm feeling sad or hating my life, I can check it and be like, "Yay! <laughs> oh, you're Happiness is coming." <laughs> so funny. <clears throat> All righty. Uh, let's do some comic book stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of news. Uh, we saved a listener question for the end of the show. We have our interview with Jackie. We got lightning rounds. We got open discussion of a very cool, uh, space opera a little bit later. And there's going to be a lot of comic books here, people. If everything on this list happens tonight, I will be very, (laughs) very impressed. Look, I got two weeks to catch up on, all right? Did you see the size of Sarah's lightning round? Well, Sarah's crazy, all right? (laughs) This is like, I don't know know how you're going to do it. I timed it earlier and I went 15 seconds over, so I'm going to have to talk crazy fast. Oh, my God. You need lessons from the micro machine guy. Cut out the adverbs. (laughs) (laughs) No. All right, Bob, would you care to uh, to kick things off? Sure. Uh, oh, I also read Aquaman, by the way. I just didn't write it down. Okay. Right. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Shh. All right. Uh, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you and go. So no great surprise. Captain Marvel by Kelly Thompson, Carmen Canero, Tamra Bonvillon, and Clayton Cowles has been a beautiful read. With this latest issue, number three, a real standout in my week's poll. Carol and her new corps are still trapped in the nuclear man's stronghold that was once Roosevelt Island. But with Captain Marvel taking command, she's creating her own guerrilla force to overturn that situation. Kelly Thompson's story and dialogue are perfect for showcasing Carol's strengths, particularly her inner monologues as she muses about the fight ahead. And the art by Ms. Canero is a perfect compliment. By the way, this issue three had a variant cover, a movie variant cover that is exactly the same as the movie ad that's on the back. So don't spend any extra money for a variant cover. I'm, you heard it here first. Aquaman 46 by Kelly Sue DeConnick, Robson Roca, Daniel Enriquez, Sonny Joe, and Clayton Cowles again, which was both epic in scope and intimate, too. The former sea gods sit and ruminate as Arthur and Callie try to appease the wrath of the angered avatar of the oceans, Nama. The battle sequence stunning in words and pictures with some incredible moments depicting an Aquaman who's truly an inspiring figure. Cliffhanger for next issue's wrap-up of this arc pretends some big doings. So if you haven't picked this up with all we've talked about it, you really need to because you're going to be sorry if you missed it. This week marked the return of one of my favorites, Stepan Shevchuk's Sunstone. This is volume six, subtitled Mercy, and it's a prequel to what we've seen in the other volumes, at least for now. Stepan says in his foreword that this series will present events both before and after what we've been shown here and before. Alan and Anne, who we've met previously, are relating their past lives and relationship experiences to Lisa, who's writing this all into one of her stories. 
Now, as Alan's Once Upon a Time includes Allie and how their meeting changed them both, that's quite its own story. Now, Anne, well, in her college past, she was, as she describes it, a goth lobster. And into her, friend, her friendship with, with Cassie Connolly and how a night at a metal concert changed both their lives. Now, as with all of Sunstone, the layers of storytelling, both in pictures, words, emotional content as well, just off the charts. It's funny, sensual, touching, but most importantly, genuine. Shapon's characters are real human beings with agency. They're also filled with flaws, needs, uh, desires, quirks, yes, kinks. But what Sunstone has always been most about is the powers of communication, trust, and friendship, and what more is there to life anyway. Finally, what might be the strangest book I've ever brought to the table, and that's Giraffes on Horseback Salad. <laughs> it's a graphic novel written by Josh Frank and Tim Heidecker, illustrated by Manuela Pertega. It's adapted from a never-produced screenplay by the surrealist genius Salvador Dali, who crafted it for the Marx Brothers in 1937. Using long-thought lost documents from the Dali Foundation in Spain, and the Centre Pompidou in Paris, fully authorized by the Marx Brothers estates. The story contains all the wild elements you'd associate with both Dali and the comedy team that he thought the masters of surrealist humor. We have melting people, dancing hands, lobster phones, plus wild puns, humorous musical interludes, all in the service of telling the story of the surreal woman. Great essays on the history of this classic might-have-been project. A must for all Marxists, I will say it that way. And just an amazing graphic novel to begin with. The artwork is just completely stunning. And the story, a lot of fun. So, Giraffes on Horseback Salad. My thanks to Menachem up at Escape Pod Comics, who had a whole bunch of these on the shelves and saved one for me. And I, I would is uh... done. I would like to nominate Giraffes on Horseback Salad for best comic book name ever uh, during our next uh, Talking Comics Awards. I'd like to nominate it for best comic book ever after hearing that description. Yeah. Oh, you've got to get a look at it. I, there are images up on the internet. It is all the things you'd expect if... What it, 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 it is, uh, Mr. Dully met Harpo Marx in Paris. Harpo was on a, a tour... Uh, promoting Night at the Opera at that point. And he just fell in love with all the craziness. If you remember the earlier Marx Brothers movies, Harpo would, he had the, that trench coat that apparently had the pocket dimensions that Goose has within him. Because people would say something to him, you know, you'll find as you grow older, you can't burn the candle at both ends. Well, he'd pull out a candle burning at both ends, just out of his coat. <laughs> say, say, fella, uh, can you help me out? I'd like to get a cup of coffee. He'd pull a steaming hot cup of coffee out of his coat in real time on the screen. Uh, the last movie they made, Love Happy, the bad guys capture him and they put him up against the wall. They're looking for a tin of diamonds and some sardines or whatever. They're pulling out blocks of ice, live dogs, mailboxes, you name it. So it was always a very surreal thing what they were all doing anyhow, that the Groucho could be the president of a college or the head of a country. So Dali thought, well, this is perfect. Visited Harpo in Hollywood after having sent him a harp strung in barbed wire. 
which Harpo tried to play and, and then send him pictures of his bandaged hands or whatever. So they wrote a 14-page treatment, got it together, went in to see Louis B. Mayer, Irving Thalberg, who had shepherded their career early at MGM, had passed on, and Louis B. Mayer hated the Marx Brothers, so the whole thing didn't go very well. And little bits and pieces have surfaced over the years, some of his sketches, some of his little bits and pieces in magazine articles. They're all here. All the sketches he did, little fragments. Again, if you're a Marx Brothers fan, it's great. If you're a fan of Salvador Dali, it's great. If you just want to see something stunning in the way it looks, mm-hmm. it's there too. This is this is a masterpiece. Yeah, I've been looking at it while uh, you were talking. It looks amazing. Yeah, it's, it love is. The, or I love the cover. Yeah, uh, and all the this is one of these things where the cover, it's all this craziness where Groucho's riding a swan. <laughs> all Sounds about things, right. All these things happen in the book. It's it's I don't know how they would have filmed it, but you never know. That's such awesome. Is, such is Hollywood. That sounds great. Uh who published that, Bob? This is by Quirk. <laughs> of course. Quirk publishing Quirk Books, cover design <laughs> by Doogie Horner, cover illustration by Manuela Pertega, our interior artist. Nice. Is it new? Was it published this year? Brand new. That's Whoa. brand new came out this came out this week. Okay, cool. There's a, there's a to... soundtrack album coming next month. Nice. <laughs> I'm interested in that. I would check that out. I'll have to uh, I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Very cool. Man, I was going to say something about Aquaman, but you kind of blew me away with the uh, <laughs> giraffes on horseback salad. <laughs> uh, but did you um, enjoy Aquaman? I, look... Kelly Sue DeConnick and and Robson Roca and and the entire team. This book is so amazing. It's so good. And like most of what I have to say, it kind of sucks, is toward the end of the book. I won't describe anything to you because I don't want to, you know, ruin any of the twists or anything. I'll just say that I could hear the swell of the music. Yeah. As like stuff was going down and there were transformations and big things and just like I can hear the, the the swell of the music and by the end of it, just big ass drums and crashing cymbals and the whole description. This is this is a weak spoiler, but like Aquaman belts it out, yeah. right? He goes he goes sonar at one point in the issue, and the description of him using it and what it does and 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 what it acts as mm-hmm. was so cool that by the time that you get to that last page it was one of those like fist pumping uh last pages where you're just like yes. oh yes like let's go let's get the next issue i am so on board with this um this ever since she picked this book up it has been amazing both artfully and story-wise uh new characters are so cool and they're only getting cooler. There's a the character that I, I loved at the very beginning. Uh, now she's kind of changed, and she mm-hmm. looks incredible. the The design for her is just amazing. And yeah, I'm I'm all about it. I love Aquaman a lot. Um, definitely one of my favorite things of the year so far. Yes. Well, as, uh, as, as Kelly Sue pointed out to us when she was here, it's very metal. It's Led Zeppelin. Oh yeah. So it's yeah. It's that's a whole Robert Plant jimmy page moment there near the end it's really it's really really big you know there's there's a lot of emotion in it she's she's 
getting into the heart of this character. And like, I, again, like I can't say too much because I don't want to ruin mm. some of the, the big moments in this issue, but there's just, there's a num- there's a, a number of hits toward the last like 10 pages of this issue where it just tells you like it's on, you know, as good as it's been, the next issue is going to be insane. Yeah. So, I don't know how you follow what we did here, but you'll find a way. Kelly's um, will find so, a way. I hope that this is selling like hotcakes. Everybody should be reading this because I want her to be on this book for a while, if possible. Um, I think she's doing she's doing amazing stuff with this. Amen. Um, and I did not get to uh, read Sunstone, but I did pick it up, and I love Captain Marvel number three as well. Thought that was great. Yes, loved it. Uh, blah blah blah. Joey, you have any thoughts? Captain Marvel was awesome. All right. It's unanimous. Captain Marvel, it's awesome. <laughs> awesome. You heard it here first, folks. We, we put that on the trade paperback. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pull quote. Yes. Joey, how yes. do you feel about getting back into the uh, the crazy weather? Woo! <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Just gets cheesier every week. What? It's fine. All right. Five minutes on the clock. Go. <clears throat> so the following books are courtesy of uh, Phoenix Comics, Golden Age Collectibles, and Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle, Washington. Um, I obviously went through and I picked up all the zines and comics with an X and self-published stuff that I could find. So everything that I'm about to talk about is um, from those shelves. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is a quick and easy guide to they slash them pronouns. A very small graphic novella um, by Archie Bongiovanni and Tristan Jimerson Himerson for Lemerance Press, which is an imprint of Oni Press. Um, and it's exactly what you think it is. It is about 58 pages and it is a quick and easy guide to using they them pronouns um, because YOLO, which stands for your original language operates within an ever-changing nexus of communication Um, (laughs) (laughs) because language evolves and what uh, Bon Giovanni and and Hemerson do with this book is they just talk about how to use they them pronouns and why you should do it and it's always cool there's a quote from the book it's always cool being a respectful and empathetic person Um, so they put together this this great little book to hopefully you know People will read, people will share with others and just get people to, you know, call people what they want to be called, you know? Great book. Um, I like it. It was really awesome. Really cool to see. Uh, I also read Iron Scars Volume 1 by Colleen Frakes, drawn and designed in Seattle, printed in, you guessed it, New Jersey. What? Talk about coincidence. Kismet, actually. Here's the back of the book. Here's what it reads. Fairies are not real. They definitely don't live in the woods behind your house, make deals with witches, or kidnap little girls. Except sometimes they, except sometimes they are. And sometimes <gasps> they do. We bum, open bum, bum. <laughs> on some innocent campers arriving at an isolated island. They stop at a diner for something to eat. Very Twin Peaks. And then, boom, they disappear. And black cat fairies and witches kidnap them. It's crazy. Um, so there's a deal between the town folks and the fairies. Don't take our kids but you can take the strangers that come to the island. The fairies are getting a bit antsy, though, and maybe overreaching and backing out of that pack. Dun, dun, dun. 
Also, one of the kids might be a changing changeling. Also, also, kids start disappearing. This book is crazy. It was super wonderful. Freaks won an Ignatz for Promising New Talent. Um, and Iron Scars won the 2016 Dinky Award for Best Mini Comic. This was really cool. I think there's four or five volumes out. I'm sure you can get it online as well. Um, but it was a really great story about, you know kids on a town in a town having to deal with the supernatural um really great characters really great ensemble cast i also read flora and fauna anxious human field notes a zine mm. about mental illness therapy and animals by robin elan so um elan um writes this this short zine talking about their Basically, they're 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 dealing with depression and 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 their anxieties about being a writer and and being a creator and and you know just kind of living this crazy life that we live and they use the art that they they put into the zine as a kind of meditation and as a kind of way to to, to cope with that and it's a really nice and and powerful meditation on how we cope with the anxieties and things that we, we deal with every day um, called Flora and Fauna. And it was, it was actually really, really powerful. Um, switching gears, I read Cactus Cat Origins <laughs> by Danny Dodge uh, for her self-print studio Dodge. She's an artist, um, visual artist. Uh, this tells the story of Cactus Cat and April. April wanted a cat and a cactus and for her dad to visit for Christmas. Instead, her dad sent her a cactus cat. And it's actually a cat who's also a cactus. So, like, the first story is he, like, he, like, crawls into her lap and she's like, ow. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also, like, there's sad parts, too, where, like, like, cactus cat, like, wants to look like everybody else. So he cuts off all of his pine, his his little, his little pricklies. And And April's like, no, cactus cat, I like you the way you are. So then there's a scene where cactus cat puts cotton balls on all of his little pricklies so that he can sit in her lap. It's the cutest thing. There's also references to Hamlet and poetry and streetcar named Desire. It's this awesome cactus cat story. Exactly what you would think from like a basement comic. Um, also read The City, a mini comic by Seattle native Stephen Crow and Melanie Emerald. Um, this was like this crazy Kafka-esque German neo-noir Eastern European art house book about the you know inane freedom that we feel in a world without god it's about industrialization and urbanization and there's a character named Casagran Senclo a melancholic detective it's the craziest <laughs> book i've ever read um this is what they're doing up in Seattle man it's just yeah. wild it rains all the time i know it was crazy that was that was really fun um and finally i read a book called Ash and Meg which was the first volume um, by Ashley Klein. She lives in Seattle. She wants to be a cartoonist when she grows up. So this was basically about 20 pages of these four panel strips, you know, like these very kind of like a digicomic kind of thing. Um, fun, witty. There's titles like the period drama. It's about what you think. Um, grad school, <laughs> an eight part saga. Um, it's a comic about two friends in their mid twenties who live together and work together. There are some supporting characters as well, including an emu named emu who only talks to Ash. Um, yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun too. So, you know, any, anytime I go to a, a city, I always like to hit up the comic shops and see what they have on the kind of local 
shelves and and i was really pleased with everything that i pulled off um the indie shelves um last week in seattle at phoenix comics elliott bay book company and golden age collectibles blah out nicely done <laughs> very good that sounds awesome man yeah i love going to seek out the local comic shops whenever you go out of state somewhere yeah. it's the first thing i always ask the hotel when i walk in and they're like, what? <laughs> well, when I went to when I went to Leica and I was in Portland, I'm like, this gotta be some. The last time I was there, I went to a comic book shop. But between Powell's and um, the few places that I visited, it was uh, it's pretty awesome. But that one shop that I went into, man, it was like 80 percent indie stuff. And I just I could have dropped so much money in there. I had to pull myself away. Yeah, I did drop so much money. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to bookstores and stuff. It, I love going there, you know. And and the one that I will re- totally recommend because I think you can get it. A lot of that is like local. Like you have to be in Seattle to get that stuff. Although I'm sure you can find a lot of it online. Mm-hmm. That quick and easy guide to they them pronouns. It's just a great little book, you know, like what Bon Giovanni and, and Hammerson doing is a great kind of message and, and great kind of mission there. And it's short, it's like 50 pages or so. And Oni Press picked it up, you know, and I think that's really important as well. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great for distribution. Be a good person. That's basically what it comes down yeah. to, you know. Every day. All right. Next on the chopping block is Sarah. With the monster, the monster <laughs> lightning round. This Maybe week. the most books ever talked about in one lightning round. Okay. I have a special alarm sound just for you. <laughs> She's going to do it. I believe in her. In case oh, you don't no, make it. oh, no, I think you'll be able to do it. I'm just saying. If you let the clock run, there's a treat at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> oh, you know, right. Now we're going to have to hear it one way or the other, Steve. You realize that. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. See if the mouse gets the cheese. All right. (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Sarah, are you ready to go? Let's do this. All right. Five minutes and go. Okay. Buckle up, folks. We have got a lot of ground to cover tonight because I cleared my comics backlog this week and I have read all of the books. Um, Let's open up with the C-section and give a nod to Christopher Sabela, Sean McManus and Lee Loughridge for wrapping up their five-part family horror house amok with attitude, aplomb and scares aplenty. This tale of the sand of a family's shared delusion or possibly their glimpse into the truth about reality is crazy, gorgeous and ended perfectly and yet unexpectedly. The trade is available to to pre-order now, so jump on it. Um, I'm also going to quickly fangirl over personal favourite Cy Sparia this week, along with Matthias Bergara as I read issues 7 through 9 of Coda, their epic fantasy tale set in a world where magic has all but disappeared, giant travelling cities war with one another and men continue to make stupid mistakes in the name of love. With utterly insane art, a pentacorn, the reappearance of the dragon skeleton with the itchy butt from issue one, and more political twists than Machiavelli could shake a stick at, this is Spuria at the top of his game. Witty, scathing, satirical, and yet still able to show how important love is. Expect me to hear, to hear me champion this book later in the year. Next up, I have a book that I picked up at MCM London last year, which is now being released this very week by Scout Comics. Star Bastard is described as a foul-mouthed, over-the-top sci-fi romp by Andrew Clemson and Jethro Morales, and honestly, I couldn't have put it better myself. Imagine if Peter Quill had a douchey brother with less morals and a foul mouth. 
add in a crew that have had enough of him, some bounty hunters that want to kill him, and a lot of pissed off people in their wake, and you're just about getting star-bastard. It's a fun ride from a pair of new creators, and if you don't blanch at nudity or cussing, it's well worth checking out. Also worth checking out is the already funded Kickstarter for Frank at Home on the Farm. Now, full disclosure, I know the editor of this book and he was kind enough to send me a preview of this story of a man returning from war to find his family have mysteriously disappeared from their farm. I say it was kind of him. The preview pages I read gave me actual literal nightmares in a body horror, animal farm, David Cronenberg, Alfred Hitchcock kind of a way. I really like to support new creators when I can, and as these chaps are also from my neck of the woods, I wanted to see what they were offering. Despite the bad night's sleep it gave me, I'm really looking forward to checking out the rest of this planned four-part series. I also caught up on Wonder Woman issues 52 to 66. Um, Anything from the point G Willow Wilson came into the book has been great, but I do just want to back up everything that Jess and Bob said last week. Um, I'm really enjoying the story, but the art on issue 66 just didn't work for me as well as it did the previous few issues. Um, Speaking of art not floating my boat, I loved Catwoman 6, 7 and 8 that I read this week from Joel Jones, Elena Casagrande and Laura Allred. And I was really looking forward to seeing what a certain Mr. Cobblepot had planned for everyone's favourite feline thief. So I was surprised and confused, but not in a good way, by issue nine from Ram V and John Timms. This apparent one-off was confusing, and some of the art had me sending photos to the ladies of Valhalla to ask their opinion on the proportions. I'm honestly not sure that legs that thin and a thigh gap that wide work anywhere outside of a giraffe. (laughs) Here's hoping we get back to regular business and less boobage next time out. Um, I also want to give a quick honourable mention to Jeremy Whitley and team for Rainbow Bright number five, which continues to be an utter delight. The story moves on apace this week with lots of new characters introduced and yay, we get to see Wisp again. This book continues to be utterly adorable and thoroughly beautiful. And finally, I caught up with the soon-to-depart West Coast Avengers from Kelly Thompson, Gang Hyuk Lim, Triona Farrell and VCs Joe Caramagna. As ever, this book is full of heart, with all the main characters looking out for one another and aiming to be their best selves, even and often at their own expense. I'm going to miss the heck out of this book, and I hope we see the return of Kate, America, Quentin et al. sooner rather than later. So, as usual, to wrap up, that was House of Mock number five from Chris Sabella, Sean McManus and Lee Luffridge from Black Crown. Codas seven through nine from Cy Sparia, Matthias Berger, Michael Derg and Jim Campbell for Boom Studios. Starbusted number one. From Andrew Clemson, Jethro Morales, Teo Gonzalez and HDO for Scout Comics. Frank at Home on the Farm from Jordan Thomas and Clark Bint for Mad Robot Comics. Wonder Woman from G. Willow Wilson and a thousand other people from DC. And Catwoman by Gerald Jones, Laura Allred, Elena Casagrande, Fernando Blanco. I've run out of names here. Rainbow Bright number five from Jeremy Whitley, Xenia Pamphil, Christina Hip, Valentina Pinto and Taylor Esposito for Dynamite. And last but by no means least, West Coast Avengers number nine from Kelly Thompson, Gang Hyuk Lim, Triona Farrell, and Joe Karamanga for Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Eight separate titles, and I get the Doctor Who theme. That was crazy. I want to read that. I want to read that Frank at Home at the Farm thing. That sounds crazy. (laughs) The the Kickstarter is for issue one. They want to do four of them. Basically, it's um, it's about a guy who comes home from the trenches in World War One, and he goes to the family farm and there's nobody there. And then when he goes into the town to kind of go, hey, where's my family? Everyone's like, 
we don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Then in the background of panels, I'm just, I'm looking at it going, what's, what's, what the heck, what? No, what's happened? It's just really <laughs> creepy. I read, um, I read probably the first 10 pages, which was the preview I got sent. And honestly, genuine nightmares. Um, because I can't read or watch scary things. Right. But really, really good. A couple of upcoming creators. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of it. I'm a sucker for a World War One story, as you all know. Mm-hmm. What was that... Uh... The series last year it was it was set in sort of the Ozarks and the 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 the, the teenagers it was set in the seventies. The kids were in the cave and oh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the one that mm. I um uh the the one by Nate Powell. Nate Powell? Yeah, something the, explorers. No, no, no. The it was come no. come again. Come again. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the idea of identity and all of a sudden it starts to disappear is is really scary. So Frank at Frank on the farm, yeah, no, yeah. Can I just there, there is there is a little bit of kind of um, you sort of in the background of the panels. It looks like the animals are talking to each other. What? And it's, Get out of here. it's just so it's, there yeah, some animosity and Orwell into this too. There Good. is a little yes, yeah, all that kind of thing, um, and just unsettling i think is the word you're reading it and you think you're reading one thing and then you start looking at the backgrounds going um what what's no yeah creepy very very creepy uh, now, speaking, speaking of unsettling and creepy you're totally right about that Catwoman number nine that one-off yeah that's why i didn't mention it what <laughs> a week or so ago what happened uh it, it's <laughs> when you <laughs> Literally, number eight finishes, and you go, "Oh, that was an amazing cliffhanger! What's yes. going to happen now with Oswald Cobblepot?" And you open the next one and go, "Well, those boobs don't fit with that waist." No. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, it was—it's a real problem. When you go from someone as stylish as Joel Jones setting the pace, Elena Casagrande pulling the same sort of vibe, to have it do something else is really a problem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but mm. uh, that was a one-off. I think it's an idea of the the publishing schedule and so on and so forth. And we'll we'll be like you say, we'll be back to regular business. Sadly, the regular business of comics and West Coast Avengers not being long for this world. Did you notice though? Quentin Quire changes his shirt, and his second shirt says, "I'm ready for the reboot." <laughs> yep. I just <laughs> I don't understand how number ten is going to be the last issue. It just doesn't uh, seem it doesn't seem like an appropriate time to step off, as it were. No. I think Jeff the baby land shark will will, you know, eat everyone. Like even if okay, so like even if number ten is the end of that storyline, at least give us a number eleven to like like Patsy Walker number seventeen or something like that. Yeah. You know, give us for everybody a, to go their separate ways or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, like Or just automatically bring it back in like two months' time. That's all. Yeah, time. I mean I'm not convinced got, that that's not the case. I but, gotta say, like, this has been one of the, the most unceremonious dismissals that we've seen in probably a while in terms of mm-hmm. it is it cancelled, is it not cancelled? Nobody's talking about it, people are hinting yeah. about it, it's not in the previews, and then like asking direct questions and getting nothing but the shrug emoji. And it was just, it was a very weird road to the end, I think. And it, I'm, I've been very unsettled by it. 
Yeah, Part of me is kind of wondering, is there going to be something happening with West Coast Avengers as a team after maybe Endgame? And that's why they're not saying I, anything. Well, Are they going to give us like a, a nice soft reboot and go, hey, look, here's a TV show or a movie no, or something? My thought is actually it's going to be a Young Avengers relaunch. Partly because they bring Novar in, you got Marvel Boy back yep. in there, you got Kelly, not Kelly, you got Kate Bishop. Wow, Kate. that was weird. You got <laughs> yeah. Kate Bishop, you got America on the team too, and I think, and I personally think that that's something that Endgame will also have as part of it too. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'm because- wondering if they're waiting for Endgame to release to announce in September, October, Young mm-hmm. Avengers number one by Kelly Thompson and yep. blah blah blah. And we'll put some Cassie into there, right? Yeah. Which would be which like which would be the the best case scenario of this entire thing. Worst case is yep. Steve's point, like unceremonious, like we're done, like like <laughs> that's it, we're out. We've seen it before, you know. It's because yeah, I don't. They canceled X Factor on me twice in one year. So it yes. was just it was such a it was such a quiet cancellation. Like I felt like it was hanging in the wind for so long. I still don't feel like I saw an actual article. No. That was like, either. yes, this is officially done. Yeah, it's just not in the previews. That and that's not good enough. Well, I think I think the best case scenario, I think, is a likely scenario. Put it that way. She's yeah. been she's been weaving in like Marvel Boy came back. Like that's a big step. Yeah. 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 It's, I'm it's, ready. Yeah. It's weird. I'm like them dragging Kelly Thompson around. I want her to settle on a book and stay there. It's not like she's she's not writing every book ever. I know, I know, and that was my yeah. other thought was maybe, maybe it's just too much, but I don't know. She's a she's a powerhouse for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Joey. Before I launch into my thing, how much of Deadly Class have you seen? Only the first couple episodes. <sighs> yeah, no, I've I've been I've been a little busy, brother. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> you got to do my thing too. That's how this works. <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody to bounce my amazing ideas off of. <laughs> All right, here we go. About five minutes on the clock for me. And go. Okay, so Bronwyn and I sat down and we're like, let's check out our new cable box. And it works. Yay. We Our other one was so broken. It sucked. And we happened onto the Sci-Fi channel and we're like, oh my God, we haven't been watching Deadly Class since like the first episode. And that week was the finale, so we're like, perfect, let's catch up. We watched Deadly Class episodes 1 through 10, and let me tell you, between the Umbrella Academy and this, Doom Patrol, from what I've seen, it's okay, it's cool, I gotta see more of it, but these two shows are outstanding. Really, really enjoyed, this is gonna sound a little funny at first, but the level of violence in deadly class it's visceral but not too gory and the violence is there for effect but it never felt gratuitous uh the same goes for the level of profanity i personally find excessive profanity in film and television to be distracting and in some cases outright lame and lazy so for lack of better terms the profanity in deadly class is used sparingly and smartly finding a balance between organic story-driven dialogue and gratuitousness. So there you go for that. Benedict Wong owns, he owns, I love his voice. I want him to read me bedtime stories. He's (laughs) worth the price of admission for this show 
entirely. He commands every scene that he's in. And I often find myself not being able to take my eyes off him whenever he's around. Um, he's just magnetic. I love that dude. Uh, really standout performances by the main cast. The character chemistry is really good with Saya and Maria being among one of the best uh, relationships to watch. They're from all different clans, all the, the different students that you're following throughout the, the show. So um, their people are constantly at odds with one another, which makes their Motley crew friendship difficult to hide and maintain. This adds a lot of drama to the show and really, really pulled me in all different directions as I was in love with the character one minute and then totally pissed off at them the next and vice versa. Kudos to Benjamin Wadsworth as Marcus. He really pulls off the narrative voice without breaking the fourth wall without sounding like Captain Exposition. Uh, his narration always has something valuable to contribute, and he does it in a very Hunter S. Thompson sort of way that I totally dig for obvious reasons. The soundtrack is pure 80s nostalgia, but all the good stuff. Uh, the integration, there are flashback sequences with Wes Craig's artwork um, set to animation to explain kind of people's backstories and what happened way back when. Awesome. The sixth episode. I don't know what it is with six episodes of really good series like The Haunting of Hill House, but when they go to Vegas in the sixth episode, it is just fear and loathing in Las Vegas turned to 11. It's fantastic. This show is if The Breakfast Club went to a school for assassins. So <laughs> definitely, definitely check out uh, Deadly Class if you're not already. Uh, they haven't announced a season two officially yet. But given that the show ends on a crazy cliffhanger, and rather abruptly, too, I might add, there has to be more. There has to be. Um, so I'm kind of just waiting for the official word on that. Um, otherwise, books, um, I'll do some super quick things. I got a minute and 20 seconds left. Naomi, number three, from Brian Michael Bendis, David F. Walker, with art by Jamal Campbell. First of all, um, Jess was totally right when she brought Jamal Campbell to our attention with her nomination from when he was doing Power Rangers and other books. The art in this book is just mesmerizing and gorgeous. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, oh my God, who is the artist for Gotham Academy and uh, Abominable Charles Christopher? Uh, Carl Kershaw. Yes, it reminds yeah. me quite a bit of Carl Kershaw, uh, Isola, and that stuff. Um, this was a huge issue for Naomi. Like I have to admit, like Naomi, I've been enjoying it, but it's also been a little slow. The dialogue is very, I both, I both love and hate it at certain times where I feel like it's taking forever for them to say something. But then I also appreciate it because this is kind of the way that people actually talk. And I find that oddly refreshing Classic in a comic Bendis. book. Yeah. But like it, it works for this anyway, big reveals for Naomi, this issue, kind of her talking to D the local mechanic about her past and finding out more than she'd bargained for. Now her parents are wrapped up in the whole thing. And it's just drama, drama, drama uh, with this big mystery looming in the background. And I love it. It's uh, between this and Young Justice. Those are my two favorites from the uh, Wonder Comics brand. Oh, I'm out of time. All right. Um, <laughs> I'll just real quick. Wow. I read Bitter Root uh, one through five. Yeah. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Loved the messaging in that book. The art. Oh, my God. The art, Sanford Green, killing it. 
between the Such creatures. a good book. Ah, the creatures and the, the crowd work. Like some of those really massive crowds when everybody's transforming and everything, that stuff is just stellar. And I love, I love the steampunk, excuse me, like the steampunk style of it. Um, really, really entertaining, very cool characters. And um, I had a lot of fun with it. So definitely there's, uh, there's bound to be more of that. So definitely going to keep reading Bitter Root for sure. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention super quick, I've been going through Tilly Walden's collections, uh, her, her books and stuff. She did spinning and a couple of other things. The, um, <laughs> on, a, on a sunbeam graphic novel that we oh, uh, that one, about yeah. last year. And uh, some other books that I love that are slipping my mind right now for some reason. Um, I need to get glasses. These books are too far away from me. Anyway, I don't have it in front of me. But it's longer called... arms, that's all. Forget the glasses. <laughs> the book is called The City Inside. It took me maybe about 15 to 20 minutes to read it, if that. Uh, if you ever get the chance to pick it up or check it out, you totally should. It is just – it is a beautiful, tender, and touching graphic novel about a young girl who goes into – like a private therapy session. I don't see anybody else in the room. There's nobody asking her questions. It's just her in a room with tea and a beanbag chair. And she lays down and it's basically a miniature version of this could have been your life. Like it shows part of her story as it really happened. And then part of her story as she'd like it to happen. But in the end, she always arrives at the same person in the same place. Um, if that makes any sense to you guys, you'd have to just read it to, to see, uh, what I mean. But, um, it's a beautiful book about basically telling you to like, look around and take stock in who you have and what you have, you know, not all the minutia, not your job, not your, your need for money, not any of that stuff, but like the people and the relationships that either you have or have had and in the different ways that you've touched people's lives and stuff like that, just to kind of take a breath, take a few minutes for yourself and meditate on the idea that your interactions with other people change their lives as much as it changes yours, that kind of thing. Anyway. Um, and she builds a city inside of her head. So it's called the city inside by Tilly Walden. Uh, it's super short and super good. It'll leave you with the, uh, the butterfly tummies. There you go. Um, all right. Any comments or questions for me about any of the stuff that I talked about? Yeah, you're right um, about Jamal Eagle, man. That art on Naomi is wild. Isn't it? There's this one panel where uh, D is kind of like he's down. He, he's something's just happened to him. I don't want to spoil it, but like he's been done wrong. And there's this one beam of light coming down onto his face and it's kind of shining across his eyes. And it's such, it's so beautifully lit. Yeah. I love the, I love the colors in this book for sure. Um, kind of makes me wish that I was picking it up physically. I'll have to pick up the trade, uh, when that comes out in a hundred years because it's DC. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, look, they're I wouldn't make a joke if it new, wasn't true. No, they they're on a whole new effort. thing where they're not going to do as many trade collections that they did in the past. Oh, great. You have to wait for it to be a hardcover of 12 issues, which could Look, be... They already, they already jerked me around when they released Mr. Miracle in soft cover first, so they've yeah. already made the first mistake. 
<laughs> and doomsday clock, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. Which is that really book. getting good. It's really getting good. That's uh, You <laughs> know what? I'm glad to hear that. I really am. I'm glad that the people that are enjoying it, that it's been worth the wait. Because, man, what a what a mess. <laughs> it is. It's a mess. I don't I'm know that it's worth the wait, but it is very good. Well, I've heard too many Any. people talking about it, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Uh, just quickly, um, I haven't seen Deadly Class, but I have now watched um, four episodes of Umbrella Academy. So, like, I'm nearly caught up with TV. Hey. <laughs> Excellent. I didn't get to watch any TV this week because I read, like, 35 comics. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we have a very special guest this week. Jackie Ball is the rising writer behind the third and fourth volumes of Goldie Vance and the creator behind Welcome to Wanderland, both for Boom Studios. She also ushered in a new interactive comics scavenger hunt experience called The Convention Years at Emerald City Comic Con last week alongside Joy Foster. She is also a creative director and designer of immersive guest experiences, which we will very certainly be talking about later as well because that's rad. Um, and I had the wonderful pleasure pleasure of meeting Jackie and hearing her speak at New York Comic Con last year and we're very excited that it has brought her to the show this week. Welcome Jackie. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah so um, we always like to start with kind of um, a question about how you got into comics, what your comic book origin story is. How did comics come into your life and how did you make comics into your life? Very appropriate. Um, those are, I think, just two very, very kind of separate stories. Comics kind of came into my life. I think the first comic I ever read was online was Ultimate Spider-Man because it came out around the same time that the Tobey Maguire movies came out. And so that's when I first started even seeing comics. Um, I was from a small town. We didn't have a lot of, uh, I did not know of any comic book shops where I was from. But um, so my first comic book was, you know, dial up and then wait. And then get Ultimate oh. Spider-Man that would load like a panel at a time, uh, which was <laughs> which was something that I'd kind of forgotten about until like last year. And I sort of had this sudden like, oh, my God, I remember. I remember the first time I read a comic book. Um, and then in college, I used to kind of uh, we knew we, we had discovered the comic book store that was probably a mile and a half off. And we'd always go adventuring in the midwinter in Michigan. We're going to go on a quest for comic books. Um to our what was it called oh, with the nerd the nerd haven uh the nerd haven in town um but then very separately from that because i i have a whole career in themed entertainment which you mentioned um a couple years ago i was in a i was in a writer's group with daphna plebin who is the editor for goldie vance um and i had gone i had gone down to boom just to have lunch with uh with her and a good friend of mine shannon waters um and kind of was just sort of chatting with them a little bit about I was looking for more creative outlets. Um, and Daphna kind of looked at me and said, uh, why don't you um, submit some test pages for me for Goldie? I said, what? 
So yeah, um, Hope's looking to have somebody to step in and pick up the scripts for that. Uh, and I think that you could probably do that because she, you know, in our writers group, we'd spent a lot of time obviously going back and forth and, um, uh, she'd seen what my writing could be. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the, the, just like Daphna having this amazing eye for just like, she's always looking to give people jobs. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah. And so I, uh, I sent her some test pages and didn't hear back for, for a little while. And then she kind of called me at work one day and had that, do you know why I'm calling you instead of texting you? It's good news. <laughs> um, and I kind of had a little flip out because Goldie's wonderful and amazing. And uh, the fact that, that they chose my, you know, my pages out of that was really, it was, it was just one of those moments of kind of like, oh my gosh, is this real? Yeah. Is this is this actually happening? You know, even, you know, at, I don't even know, how old was I at the time, 32? Like at 32, you can still have those moments that mm-hmm. like, it's just those, those kind of that feeling of being like validated and recognized. And I've worked really hard in a lot of different places to kind of suddenly have it pay off in this really kind of unexpected way. Had you kept writing kind of in your life while working with the theme design? Mm-hmm. And that's actually, uh, I mean, a large part of what my job in themed entertainment is, is writing. So um, creative directors can be a lot of different things depending on where, uh, what company you're in. Mm-hmm. But um, one of their major tasks is in, depending on the phase of project, is also writing treatments and scripts for attractions. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously, uh, it's very different from writing a character-based um, uh, very character focused story, there is still a lot, um, there is still a lot that it shares with when you're even a, a ride has a plot and we look at it from a guest experience point of view. So you're writing the narrative of what the guest is experiencing. Um, so that does have some things in common with it, but I also, uh, I was, um, I was a creative English creative writing major in college. So I would, you know, I, I wrote a lot of fiction in college mm-hmm. and that was something that I'd kept my hand in with while I'd been out here. I'd been, you know, working on various scripts, but my issue has always been that I'll start something and then I'll kind of forget and start a different thing and forget. And um, so one of the things that theme parks helped me to hone was that, you know, actually finishing a thing and getting it done on a deadline and, and actually making my writing happen and just, just doing it so that by the time this uh, comics opportunity came around, uh, I, I not only had like some amount of talent, I also had some amount of, you know, the right attitude toward getting myself to actually write and, and make these things happen. Right. Um, if you don't mind my asking, how did you get into the, the creative director theme park design stuff? Yeah, that is so less an interesting story. My uncle is in themed entertainment and he, uh, right after I graduated college, I had asked because my college didn't have a lot of, um, it didn't have a ton of, of production or um, kind of physical arts. There was a, there's a good theater department, but I wasn't super involved with it. And I was kind of more in, interested in, you know, movies or television production. Um, and we don't have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of that at my school. So I was kind of looking for some way to kind of step into something that was a little bit more, um, 
physical production stuff. And so I'd asked my uncle who worked for this themed entertainment company to let me know if there was some kind of opportunity. My brother had gotten to, you know, be an intern with this company ages ago um, and got to do this really cool Jurassic Park exhibit thing. I was like, that sounds awesome. I'm the creative one. Let me come do one of those things. And he let me know that they were hiring. And so I sent in my resume and I, I interviewed with some, some people I don't know to this day. I have no idea. I'm like, I'm not sure if he was like, that's my niece, like, or if I just got in that, that particular position on my own merit. But, um, I came and I, you know, moved out to California and kind of made this choice to like, okay, I'm going to go after this because, uh, the second I kind of got into the, the studio, the people there felt very much like, okay, these are people that I want to work with. It's a lot of, um, folks who have theater backgrounds, folks who have TV and movie backgrounds. There are obviously some folks who have, uh, who have theme park backgrounds, but it's just kind of, it's this great, um, amalgam of different, you know, different career experiences Mm -hmm. who are all kind of in one place who want to just make something really good together. Um, and so that sort of was the, was the origin of that. But then from that point, I was very much like, I'm going to, you know, put my own stamp on this and, and make my own way in this industry. And so that became very much about like, um, I was lucky enough that my first job was a, was a big project. So I, I got to meet a lot of really great people. Unfortunately, that was in 2008. So then the economy tanked and that project got put on hold indefinitely Mm-hmm. And I lost that job as well as several other people I know, but it just kind of, I had those contacts. So as things started to pick back up again, um, I was able to make my way back into the industry and, and start working on projects that were really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, Joey, can I throw something in? Yeah, totally. Sure. Here's the thing. When, uh, Jackie, when you're writing a comic book, you kind of have control of what the characters do. Not always. We always hear from writers that sometimes the characters write themselves and take the story somewhere else. But in your theme park entertainment and that sort of thing, what is the craziest thing someone's done off the script that you <laughs> couldn't anticipate someone doing? Just like a character-wise? Well, character-wise or a guest who went somewhere you didn't oh. expect and um well so i i generally am uh i'm so i'm in the design side of things i i've like i've actually never been to my bollywood park for example there's a park in dubai that i've worked on creatively mm-hmm. i've never been there uh it looks great i've seen all the pictures but um <laughs> so i'm not i'm not generally as involved on the operation side i have okay. a um uh I do have a, I have a project that I'm working on now that I'm learning a lot more about operations and like getting to actually be, cause it's a live event thing. So I'm getting to see a lot more of like, Ooh, what, what, what kinds of crazy stuff people get up to in these, in these yeah, sets imagine. that we make. Um, but yeah, at this point I don't, I don't have a really, I don't have a really good one. I have stories from others that I've heard about like, the legends of why you can no longer drink at Hollywood or Halloween horror nights in Hollywood. Because, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. And like, cause my, cause one of my old bosses was that like, he was a tour guide in the, in the late eighties when that was still allowed. And you know, there were deaths and things. I, Ooh. There, yeah. So I have some like second and third hand legends. Uh, I haven't, I haven't witnessed, I haven't witnessed any of the like, craziest of the crazy 
Soon. 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 Joey, can I jump in? Yeah, totally. Um, before you got involved in the theme park industry, what were some of your favorite parks and rides that you would visit? Um, so I, I grew up in Illinois, and the closest park to me was uh, Six Flags Great America uh, in in Gurney, which is north of Chicago. But um, And so that was the one I visited most. We'd go there for band trips and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, for anybody who's been to both, say, a Six Flags and maybe a Universal Studio Islands of Adventure, there's a, there's a big difference in theming. Um, and, but I still really, really liked it. Like even, even the Six Flags, which is primarily, it's more known for having steel coasters, which are the big, the big giant thrill coasters. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it still had those moments of like when you're uh, the Batman ride, you are, you're sort of like, oh, there's a crashed cop car and there's just little details of like graffiti in, in some of the little set pieces in that queue, um, which which even at that time I thought was really cool and interesting. But um, when I was when I was nine, I got to go to Disneyland for the first time, um, and uh, I I loved everything about it. But I have very very clear memories of being a kid and coming into Toontown for the first time. Oh yeah, I was um, just about to mention Toontown. And even even now when I'm there, it just it brings back that that kiddish excitement that I I don't feel like I can feel almost yeah. ever except for like this specific moment because like just something about the the way that they dimensionalized tunes really really struck a chord with me of just like oh i'm here and going i going into mickey and minnie's houses and just they have really simple interactives where like you you push a button and the the cake like inflates and bakes in in the store um uh that just really that's i think my one of my clearest and uh, I think most informative memories of of my early early experiences at a theme park. I just, I just loved Toontown. <laughs> That's I love Toontown. I love the way that their concessions are themed after like the old um, the old silly symphony cartoons yeah. and stuff, like the milk stand and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I Toontown is the best. All right, cool. All right, I got my little question then. Joey, go ahead. <laughs> well, on that, do you take lessons from those experiences and your work when you're scripting a comic? Um, uh, absolutely, in that kind of... Um, well, and interestingly, uh, I feel like there's, a, there's two different things. One just led me to a different one. One thing is, uh, as, as a writer, as a writer for... I try to be as detailed as possible, both for comics and for parks for comics more because like, I, I want to minimize back and forth as much as possible. So like if I have a really clear visual of what the characters are doing, I want to try and make sure that that is, is in the description as much as possible so that, so that you're not asking an artist to draw something more than once. And for the most part that has been completely successful because every time I get pencils back I'm just like how did you get in my head (laughs) um but uh I have found that there are definitely times that I'm like I'll be envisioning something as a park person because in parks you you're thinking about every single detail so when we talk about uh, a park narrative or say a land narrative I'm uh um, I usually use Disneyland as an example because the the lands are very clear and distinctive so like Frontierland there's a narrative to that that land which is the the story of what 
life was lived here that that becomes visible in every piece of it. It has to saturate, you know, it has to saturate the wall uh, inside the golden horseshoe behind the stage. Like every, every part of this place is going to get actually built. So everything that a guest sees has to have this like extreme level of detail. If you're in, and I'm, if you're in the tower of terror, the original um, tower of terror classic, like, the walls, the walls have all that destruction in it. Every piece of that destruction was drawn by hand um, to 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 keep that narrative in mind of like what what we're selling, so that everything you see as a guest sells that and tells that story. Mm-hmm. Versus, um, and and that's you know that's a theme park has this gigantic team of you know from like inception through build, thousands of people end up touching this, but. Uh, comics especially like an indie comic like uh smaller stuff like goldie is a team of like four people Mm -hmm. and it's um so i i have had to like remember and learn how to like pull back because like if i'm gonna i can't detail every everything in a room because one person has to draw that and that is an absurd amount of stuff to ask somebody to draw so that kind of that was one major shift that i kind of had to make in um, and going from theme parks into comics is that it's a very different, like the team dynamic, there's still this great, like the collaboration and like working with people who want to make something great, but like what, what you're asking of, of one person is really different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned Goldie Vance a couple of times. I love teen detective Goldie Vance and her squad of mystery solvers. <laughs> They're so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, how did Hope Larson and, and Brittany Williams series come into your life were you familiar with it beforehand or was it when um the editor brought it to you how did you how how did that series come into your hands as it were i knew i knew a bit about um i knew a bit about goldie beforehand mostly because um because i had at one at one evening daphna had just kind of like pulled out the first issue to show to show our our writers group just like look at the colors on this this is amazing just like to brag on sarah stern basically because she does just just wonderful work like i that's one of the first things that stuck in my head before i started actually reading goldie was the colors are fantastic but um uh i think i hadn't i hadn't started started reading it in detail. I had a sense of like who she was and who her friends were, but I started, um, when, when Daphna made this said like, you know, will you do a couple test pages? I really dug into it and, um, I, I read. So basically at that point, I think the eighth issue wasn't out yet. So I, I had the first, I had the first seven issues. So that's like one more issue. So I'm on like the biggest, the biggest cliffhanger, just kind of waiting, like, emailing definitely like is eight is eight done yet is it right i want to i need to know like what's going to happen how does this end and actually now that i like i i the test pages that i wrote were like a they were like a dummy beginning of issue eight because i submitted them before eight came out so i had to just like guess like what's next <laughs> you, you need to know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was um yeah that was that was really really fun but it was it was such a like I'm looking at at volume one right now just because it's it makes me very happy hmm. um it's just such a refreshing story, and Brittany's art is obviously so cute, but also there's something so uh there's something really mature about it and i I just love everything about about these books mm-hmm. um so I'm really glad that 
this brought them into my life. Yeah. Uh, volume three was all about cars and racing and volume four was all about music. What is the story development process like, the interaction with Hope Larson and what research do you have to do for the book um, going into scripting out these stories? So for volume three, uh, Hope had Hope had already uh, outlined uh, the story for that one. So when I came on, basically they gave me they gave me Hope's outline, and I started I started breaking out the script. So one of the things that I wanted to do was Goldie kind of lives in um she lives in a little bit of a fantasy world. There's definitely elements of our world in it, but there's there's a degree of of extra suspending our disbelief we do because you know she's a cartoon character and um we want to make the most fun world that we can but there are certain little things that like um with the uh with the cars the uh the fake formula one racing i wanted to know like okay how do you how do you actually change a tire on one of those cars what do you um what is what is that process like what would these cars actually look like um so that we're not just so that it's not just totally, you know, out of the clear blue sky. I want it to be, to have some basis in reality. Um, and I actually have a, one of my, one of my coworkers who I know via theme park stuff is a big car guy and is like the coolest person I know. He designed the flux capacitor. He's like, his name is Michael Chaffee. He's amazing. <laughs> you ever have a chance? He's this most, he's like the coolest and most incredible person. And there are a couple of moments where I was just like, well, Michael, what do I call this thing? I don't even know what to Google to look up, to look up a, you know, what a lug nut was on a car like this. So that was helpful to just have somebody I could lean over to and ask for Google search terms. But mm -hmm. I also just really wanted to name drop him because he's amazing and just, yeah. he's fantastic, but he was very helpful on that. Um, <laughs> excuse me again. And then uh, for the, I, obviously one of the one of the most fun things with Goldie is researching costumes and stuff too mm -hmm. I, I did a lot of that for uh for volume four i just have a very very large pinterest board of goldie just goldie reference nice sometimes i just look at it because it makes me happy D did you have more kind of um sway with volume four building that story out Mm -hmm. So yeah, volume four was, uh, we, we did a little creative summit. So hope came in and we had a meeting with, um, it was Daphna and Shannon and, uh, Sophie Phillips Roberts and, um, and me and hope five of us. Uh, and we just kind of came in and started kicking around ideas of things that, um, things that could be this volume and things that could you know, inform potential future stories of um, just like, what do we want to see Goldie and her crew doing next? Mm -hmm. And out of that came the idea of, um, of a, you know, of a music festival. Uh, we kind of were thinking of that sort of like, you know, that there's sort of that, um, that sixties rocker movie vibe that we were trying to pull on a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but then bringing in certain, like, I think, I think a music festival is a very kind of contemporary touchstone, but we wanted to, we wanted to use that. Um, we wanted to really use that vibe anyway and bring something to, uh, to cross palms. But then, um, I think one of the things that we, that I really loved that came out of that meeting was the kind of decision to make, Goldie sort of her own antagonist in this one that that like the focus was 
on her relationship with Diane, that that was kind of, that was kind of the A story a little bit. And that Mm -hmm. the, that the mystery was actually sort of secondary in support of that, um, that it was Goldie kind of dealing with this very particular, uh, insecurity that, that she has to, that's a big hurdle that you kind of come up against when you're growing up. So, um, that, that was really, really fun. And that all of, all of that kind of came out of that meeting. And then, uh, from that point, I kind of had this, I had this great big ball of notes of amazing ideas to kind of go through and, and pull apart and say, you know, this is great. This is great. Um, and start to just like really shape that into uh, what ended up being written as four issues, even though I think it, it I think initially it had been conceived to, uh, to be released digitally, but I think it was only ended up being released just as the final volume. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was so much fun. Loved working on both of those. Both of those make me so happy. Yeah. Uh, the, and you're right. Volume four, the, the, the conflict with Diane, I was like, Oh, this is so personal and intimate. And then there's all this crazy stuff going on. But after, after three great volumes, you kind of have that space to do those more personal stories, um, and not focus on the mystery. Um, the characters are also wonderful. Do you have a, a favorite of the cast to, to write? Um, probably honestly it's Goldie. She's just, she's, she's so fun. I love her energy, but, um, something that I've really enjoyed in, in the two volumes that I did, there are these just two gigantic teams of interesting women. And I also love writing them. Mm-hmm. I love writing people to play off of Goldie. Um, so just kind of having, having unique people around her because, because she's such a, like, boisterous energy i think one my favorite thing is in volume two there's a point where goldie rides her bike into walt's house like she like kicks down the door with her bike <laughs> and it's this just like i'm here we're gonna solve a mystery now that her enthusiasm is so i love it it makes me so happy yeah oh my god the when that first that issue that opens with her getting hit by a car on her bike not spoilers <laughs> she's fine but i was like i gasped aloud mm-hmm. um volume four ends on this epic cliffhanger that i gasped at um any news on a volume five on future stories with goldie vans and the squad I uh, no comment. Uh, I, I cannot. <laughs> nice try, Joey. Speak to that. I just want it. Um, are you at all? I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you at all in any way involved with that movie adaptation from Kerry Washington and Rashida Jones that they mentioned like two years not. ago? <laughs> I am not. If there was, I'm, I'm very much like if anybody ever needed anything from me, I would be there in a heartbeat. Nice. But I, I have no I know nothing more than anybody else does on that one. Yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of brought your name up on the show first for us was uh, Welcome to Wonderland, which I remember talking about the first few issues on the show. Um, and I remember just being taken with this kind of whimsical world bid- building going on. Um, where did the inspiration for Wonderland come from? And did you try to challenge or play with the tropes of kind of fantasy world stories as you built Wonderland up? Yeah. Um, so the kind of initial idea for that came from, I had um, one of my best friends uh, who I met working in theme parks is one of those, one of those people, there aren't a ton of them, but one of those people who like started in theme parks, like he knew, from the jump he wanted to be in parks he lived in he grew up in Orlando 
and would lit like he'd literally go and do his homework at Universal Studios. He mm-hmm. he knew he knew all of these huge names in, in theme parks just from growing up and from being there. So so I I kind of loved that that idea of um of sort of living at the park, of having it be so your place. And I've um because I live in LA and the past, you know, my entire adult career has been spent close to Disneyland. Um, and that, that park also has like a very specific relationship with its annual pass holders. Um, I I like the idea of kind of shrinking that down even to make it feel like it's, uh, an even smaller kind of, uh, community park almost that it still kind of has this whole level of, of good, you know, beautiful finishes and really detailed, uh, detailed world building, but that it is kind of this small park where you have this this character who can spend all her time there mm-hmm. that she essentially lives at the park. Um, and that it, I, I liked kind of using that as a, um, this is, this is Belle and she loves the park and she's maybe not great with people. And maybe, maybe the park is kind of filling a need for her that as she's getting older, she's going to have to, you know, find ways to expand beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I think I don't I don't know exactly I don't know exactly when Riot kicked the door uh, down in my brain, but <laughs> the kind of idea of like having because you know you know nobody's more princessy than the princesses at the park because there are these rules of like you can't you are that character you can't acknowledge that you're an actor you're you know never take your wig off that kind of like level of like you are the princess. Um, so I love the idea of kind of taking that and spinning it on its head a little bit and having this, the real world quote unquote version of that character being just very kind of aggressively not caring about people's opinions of them Mm -hmm. that like, this is who I am. I like swords. You know, I don't care. I like swords. I like burping. I like ham. Get out of my way. (laughs) Uh, you touched on this already, but you know, there's lots of sight gags and kind of background jokes in the book. What is it like working with Maddie Gonzalez on on the visuals of it? How much of the background and design work comes from your head uh, versus Maddie's, and and what is that collaborative process like in building Wonderland? Um, we do a lot of uh, back and forth on. Uh, so I basically have I like um, like a living document on Google Docs that's uh, slides. So I'll. Like, oh, if Maddie needs reference on this particular character, I'll like hop in there and drop a bunch of a, a bunch of references onto a slide. So I do a lot of work with mood boards, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonderland itself, I sort of, I think the first thing I did was I, I like drew what we call a bubble diagram of like what lands I wanted there to be. Because I think how, how Wonderland sort of started for me was literally in the, when I pitched this book. I wrote out a list of fake land names that were kind of spoofing on, um, spoofing on, uh, on Disneyland Frontierland style names, that kind of thing. So it was just, um, and then and then I drew out a bubble diagram, and I literally, I actually literally kind of like built the park in my head how you <laughs> would do a park, like you literally you do a bubble diagram, so you determine what the lands are going to be, and then. You, you start to assign what types of attractions are going to be in each land so that you have a proper program balance so that you don't have all of your big e-tickets on one side so that there's kind of a 
you, you want your guest flow to be, you know, to, to actually function. So that's how I sort of approached it. And I, and I gave Maddie this little hand-drawn map and I gave her my list of names with all the quote unquote rides. And then I think depending on what land was going to be most focused on, I was like, okay, we're talking about, I think I called it familiar village in the, mm-hmm. in the like original name. Uh, this is what we're talking about. So here's the page of like, um, you know, the, the page of reference from fantasy land, um, and I did use more than just Disneyland as reference, but it's such an easy touchstone that I end up touching back to it a lot. So much of so much of this then still just came out of Maddie's head. Like I I do a lot of this front end stuff to hand off to her, but and like a lot of the a lot of the visual gags sort of came from like, oh, I had this sort of thought, but Maddie killed all of them so hard and made them like elevated them more than I could more than words are capable of expressing it was really wonderful to see there's a couple of particular panels that always stick out to me but there's this one there's this one page near the end of issue one where um uh where Belle and Riot are like escaping I'm looking for it right now I'm physically searching um and and they're and there's something just about like the the squash and stretch about the bending of literally of Riot's limbs. Yes, this is it. There's one where Belle, Belle is running and her her leg, if you look at it, has this big giant curve to it. And it's just there's so much animation in this still image that's so impressive. And Maddie's just amazing. She mm-hmm. did such an incredible job. So this is one of those times when it was like, oh, you saw into my head, but then you made what was there better. So it's just been like just remarkable to see that like we are like that collaboration has been so great. Do do you write in Riot flips off the skateboard every time, or is that something that Maddie just kind of added? Flips off the she, skateboard. She can't. She doesn't know how to skateboard, so every time she tries, she just yes. flips off. <laughs> I did write that. I did want. I did want her to not be good at it. Yeah, it, but then it came back in issue three, and I was like, "What a gag! That's fantastic." Yeah. yeah. Um, issue three was loaded with all this backstory and mythos, and and bored and Norling shows up, and all this crazy stuff, and and I'm reading it, and I'm, I thought to myself, "Man, there's so much story." In Wander and in Wonderland, um, what was your vision for Welcome to Wonderland when you started in terms of length and scope and everything? And, and, and what has it become and what's the future for it? So I, I just really love stories that are, that are people wandering. I love uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. I love when yes. you kind of have kids, <laughs> kids on a journey that like they're journeying into adulthood, but there's also an actual journey that they're going on. So my kind of very early initial was that like, I kind of want, I want a kid to end up having to go on this Narnia adventure a little bit. But as I kind of got into it more, um, I was, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do with, uh, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do with how many issues I might get, or if I'm going to get any issues, if I'm going to get, you know, a graphic novel, what am I going to have? So I started trying to create something that could, something that could skirt that line between being an epic quest and having, uh, you know, one foot in the real world a little bit. Like if I was thinking of it like a, like a, like a, you know, 22 minute television episode, I'd need to have a little bit of that, um, you know, real world 
because that kind of gives you that anchor gives you a little bit more time to tell your, you know, to tell your broader story. Um, and then I got a four issue mini series. So that became something that I found. And one of the reasons that three has so much in it was that I found that I was kind of holding myself back of like, Oh, well I'll save that just in case I, maybe I can, maybe I can do more later. Maybe I'll get an ongoing or maybe I can do this or that. And I realized as I was starting on three, like I have, there's no guarantees. I'm definitely going to keep doing stuff with these characters. I, I love them and I care about them, but this is a platform for them. Like, like take out all the steps. Like don't, don't limit yourself. Do this. So I ended up kind of rewriting the last two issues entirely to, to make the stakes higher. Um, obviously, uh, obviously issue three ends on a big, mm-hmm. a big cliffhanger, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sorry, we haven't resolved yet. <laughs> it's resolved narratively, <laughs> but it's not resolved for, for audiences just yet. Um, but, but yeah, there was this kind of moment of just like, no, let's just go for it. Let's let this story be big and have a satisfying have a satisfying finish um, so that, so that we still have a, we still have a platform to jump off from if, if we want to keep going. Cause I do, I, I love, I love these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and as to where it is going, issue four is, is currently in progress and it is, um, it is coming. Cool. Good. Um, I mentioned convention years uh, at the top. Um, it's described as this like serial comic that allows players to investigate alongside our heroes, solving puzzles, collecting comic pages. Um, what exactly is convention years? How did that idea get off the ground? And how did the first issue go at, at Emerald City last week? It went great. Um, convention years is so uh, Joey and I have been friends for a long time and have wanted to sort of just work on something uh, and just haven't haven't made it happen but at san diego last year we were just having a day we went to a uh, we went to a panel and we were kind of wandering around talking about middle grade fiction and various various things that we sort of creatively have in common um and the um you know the um there's a sci-fi has a karaoke bus that drives around the block of the gas uh, drives around gas lamp a bunch there's this bus that's constantly driving around gas lamp playing music and it passed us for, I think, the third time, and it was still playing Don't Stop Believin'. <laughs> and we just had this moment of like, oh, my God, I think that that bus is like um, a pocket dimension. of uh, It's like a hell dimension where the people are trapped in purgatory, and they just have to keep singing Don't Stop Believin' and driving around Comic-Con forever. And somehow that kind of turned into, oh, well, what if, um, what if instead of, like, paying attention to comics and pop culture stuff – these people, we had some characters who were interested in investigating mysteries and, and like spooks and scary things, uh, which kind of just became like, oh, hey, um, conventions happen in all kinds of different places and different places have their own specific urban legends and myths and things like, oh, we could maybe do something that was more than just more than just a standalone book. We could do something that has a lo- location-based element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of became that kind of became like, okay, let's, let's try this. Let's see what we can do. And we started just determining, okay, what age do we want our characters to be? What are they doing here? How do they meet each other? So it's, um, 
you have your two characters are Lex and Trishika, and their parents are uh, comic book creatives. And so they come to these conventions, but they've never really been that they're not they're not totally interested in in comic books and pop culture. They're much more interested in uh, in um, in cryptids and hunting monsters. So I think what is the quote from the first the first I'm using issue in quotes because it's kind of um it's more of a game, but mm-hmm. it's uh, we're more interested in the Jersey Devil than Daredevil. <laughs> um, and so, and so that first our first game it was very much kind of uh, it was a trial run. We've been it's kind of a soft launch because we wanted to find out what's possible with this tiny little team, and then also what we did is we um, we got booths who would volunteer to let us kind of borrow some of their time. And so we planted, uh, we planted a couple of clues at different places. So your first clue is we give you a file folder that has the first several pages of a comic and that, uh, there's, um, I'm really proud of some of the little clues that we had. I wish that I could, could, I guess I could, I could send it to one of you. Um, but so that you can physically look at, oh, there's, um, different, different, simple clue finding things like red reveal, you know, when you have the saran, the red saran wrap that reveals a hidden message, Mm. um, that would lead you to a place you'd get another page of comic. Um, and it would take you, it would take you throughout a couple different points on the convention floor. Um, and so we had a couple of limitations that we gave ourselves on this run because we were, you know, we're asking for booths to volunteer their time. We didn't want to take up too much of it. So we kind of, we gave the game a time limit, which I think we found, you know, next time we're not, we're not going to want to give it that time limit. We're going to want to let it either be an entire day or the entire convention weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and also just, we learned a lot about, okay, how physically far away can these things be? How, how much do people want to do? What is a good age group for this type of puzzle solving? Cause we didn't want it to be too complex. We want it to be something that like everybody can get through, but we also wanted it to be a step up from just go and get a stamp Mm. the um so i mean was it primarily digital was it like actual physical physical like pages physical pages so the way that i've been describing it has been a um it's a self-funded analog arg uh, (laughs) also self-published because we you know we printed we printed so many pages cut them by hand like it was a lot of it was a lot of stuff that we did by hand for this run that I think we're, you know, how we're going to do it next time, kind of determining, all right, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit less self-published. But um, because this run was, we just wanted to make it, that was our primary goal was to get it made. Um, because now we're, you know, able to look at, okay, there's a possibility that now we have, we have some research, we have, uh, we have a basis to potentially look into some some sponsors or people who might be interested in helping fund this mm-hmm. so that we can actually so that we can actually produce it just with a little more polish i personally want to keep it um primarily analog there was one moment where you make a phone call and you you get a you get a clue from a voicemail but um i i personally just really like having physical things to hold i like getting printed pieces of paper i like i i like that that really speaks to me a lot. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, it's like holding the floppies. It's like holding the, exactly. the comics. Yeah. Um, exactly. 
it's and and it kind of transcends like this kind of choose your own adventure thing. It, is what is the what does the future hold for conventioneers and and for this kind of genre of interactive comics, interactive comics like it? I know for us right now, uh, our future, we're gonna we're gonna tighten things up. We're gonna like come back for next year's Emerald City. We're that's our first goal is to bring Emerald City and make it more of a hard launch, have a bigger kind of a bigger splash and make more, make more of a big deal about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we, we want to be able to, to keep creating these and bring them to different conventions. I want to be able to have one, you know, I think we, we definitely want to do, we kind of joked about like, Oh, we'll do one in New York and we'll do one at at Dragon Con and we'll do one at C2E2 and we'll do one at San Diego. And then if you look at it on a map, it's a pentagram. (laughs) 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 But, um, so that's for us, we definitely want to be able to be, you know, building this a little bit to actually bring it to some other conventions and deal with, we dealt with Bigfoot here and when we were in Seattle. So totally, like, yeah. looking at, you know, location, it's a location based entertainment. We want to have location based monsters as well. Um, and I, I definitely think that there is a, there is a future in, in bringing like this scavenger hunt type of experience to to conventions i think obviously i think we're seeing so much more with escape rooms um and i think that that is definitely on the horizon i think it becomes about like okay how do you how do you integrate those things how do you bring them to people i think there's definitely going to be more uh apps but then at the same time a lot of times with conventions you can have issues with uh how is your like how is your do you have wi-fi how is your signal so that can, I think, interfere with apps potentially. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot of exploration to be done there, but I don't, I don't know. Other than we decided to do this little exploration, like I don't know who else is, who else is doing these, who else is doing these experiments right now. They should be because, yeah. um, because I absolutely think there's, there's room for it. People are looking for, uh, people are looking for some, some programmed entertainment that allows them to still be on the floor yeah well i saw your announcement i was like this is the this is the coolest thing ever because it gives you something to do besides you know sit at a sit at a panel or kind of just walk walk the tables you know Mm -hmm. activities and challenges and things to kind of walk around you mentioned the escape room and you tweeted something recently about escape from godot yes (laughs) (laughs) what is that and how do i do it (laughs) it was amazing so this is um this is a a friend of mine and his wife had put this together for hollywood fringe um and they they literally they just finished their run for so escape from godot has now closed i don't i'm i'm like oh they should do it again it was fantastic so i can't i guess i can't tell too much but essentially you get to this small theater and there's a there's an, a show of waiting for Godot in progress, but the stage manager has gone. So you have to you have to find the stage manager's book and solve some clues to call out the right lighting cues <laughs> in order to in order to help the show progress until you get to the end. And it's fantastic. It's by a group called Mister and Mischief. Is there uh, they're on Instagram, I think. But um, and they're doing uh, they're doing something new for Hollywood Fringe this year, so just keep an eye out because I'm sure what they do next is going to be fantastic. Um, it was so much fun. <laughs> we joke about Godot on the show all the time, me and Bob. <laughs> yeah, just now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so cool, like a like an escape room play, and you were doing yeah. this kind of like analog comic thing. That's uh, that's awesome. Um, um, kind of some 
general questions here. So you've done a lot of work for Boom Studios, um, including the creator on Wonderland. Do you have any other stories or concepts rattling around your desk drawers that you really want to write in a dream situation? Um, definitely. I have like one that's such a jokey kind of one that I'm like, I don't know if this counts. It's not, it's not even a dream situation so much as I just like want to do it. Cause I think it'll be fun. But, um, uh, I have this, I'm, I'm like, I should pitch it sometime. I haven't done anything with it yet, but I want to do like, um, it's like mean girls, uh, and fight club, but the fight club is D and D. So they're like very oh. like, what was the the quote that I had that I was thinking to myself? I was like, no, no, Rebethany, I don't really like that journey for you. I don't think you're going to be a ranger. Like, <laughs> have you seen this cloak? That kind of thing. That kind of like nice meme girls. I don't know. I'm just, there's not really anything there yet, but I'm like, it's going to happen. I'm going to do it one day. Oh, one day I'm going to do fight club mean girls. D&D. I've, I've already pre-ordered it. <laughs> you've, got, you've got four sold right here. Yeah, I, I want that. You that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, is there any specific music that you listen to when you work or just kind of for your own inspiration? Um, lately, because I have a, I am very ADD, so I, I need to like not have words when I'm writing. Um, one thing I have used before is there's this app called Brain FM that just kind of like plays music adjacent stuff continuously that's been really helpful for me for writing but then um another thing is a lot of times i'll just go on youtube and like play chill wave because it's it's like enough to kind of quiet my brain without interfering with the like writing process parts of things um so yeah it's very like when i'm doing specifically for writing but lately just in general i'm obsessed with lizzo Yes. Yes. <laughs> cool. Um, what else do you look to or, or read for inspiration and just for recreation as well? Oh, I, um, lots of different things. So I, I'm lately, I've been reading a lot of, um, there's this <laughs> lately. I've been reading a lot of Mary Roberts Reinhardt, who is, a, an American mystery novelist who wrote, um, in the early 1900s and is super awesome. And you don't hear a lot about her just because she didn't have, um, she didn't have like a Poirot specific detective, Mm -hmm. but she essentially like, um, she wrote, she wrote a play that, that like, I think has some, don't quote me on this because I'm not, I haven't done like a great deal of research, but I'm like, it's called the bat. It's about a guy who dresses up like a bat and investigates crimes. I don't think it has, nothing to do with Batman. Um, (laughs) but it's, uh, she's, I'll be reading her stuff a lot and forget like, Oh, this is, this is over a hundred years old. Um, I also just read Hank Green's book, the, an absolutely remarkable thing, I believe is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Super, super good. Loved it. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been just trying to pick up more, uh, graphic novels lately too, just because, um, sometimes when I'm, when I'm like looking at the vastness of comic canon, the idea of like, of like, just like picking up a comic narrative kind of anywhere can be daunting, mm-hmm. but something really nice about a graphic novel because it's, it's contained, um, you get that, 
you get that ex- extremely satisfying story arc um, all right there. Any highlights from your graphic novel reading? Um, what was the last one I read? I just read, I read Ghosts. Obviously that one. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. I did, um, I did a little, uh, I did like a comic book writing workshop for a, for a Girl Scout troop recently. And one of the questions was like, does anybody know about comic books? And like eight of them were like ghosts. And I'm like, great. Any others? Ghosts. Like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> there are some Raina Telegmeyer fans here. <laughs> um, uh, what other comics are on your pull list? Things that you um, try to pick up, things that you try to read in terms of comics? Um, I've been reading Nancy Drew lately. Um Kelly Thompson is yes. uh, mm-hmm. obviously that. awesome. So I just started picking up her Captain Marvel run also because I just like really, really like her and her style. Um, I, I love her kind of just conversational banter. Um, yeah. Now I'm, I'm like looking around. I'm like, what else? What else am I, <laughs> what else am I reading? Just sitting in a room full of books. Oh, I'm obsessed with Fence, but that one's kind of like, I'm yes. just for it. To oh, actually- I love that book. <laughs> started that book is brilliant <laughs> so good uh, um but yeah do you have any projects upcoming or stories upcoming that you can talk to us about i mm, i don't think i can unfortunately i have i have two two big things that i'm like oh i'm super excited about them but i can't they haven't been announced yet so um i guess I have one theme parky thing that I can just sort of mention that like I'm working with universal, uh, entertainment, like the, um, the events side of things. Um, that's going to be very cool, but I can't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I work with them. We're used to secrets (laughs) on the show. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I just have one last question then we can pass it around the room, but uh, any thoughts on VR? I did a virtual reality room thing called the void out in LA last week. And it was the craziest thing I've ever done. It wasn't the star Wars one. It was the haunted one that they do. And it was, I was told we were going to see star Wars and then it was like, Oh, JK monster time. And I almost threw up everywhere. Um, (laughs) But do you have any thoughts on like VR? Excuse me. I think, um, VR is not my very favorite thing. I think it has uh, a lot of certain limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them has to do with, you know, uh, especially something like the void, you have like physical uh, height restriction kind of thing. So like um, it bases, it's based on cameras a lot. So like little kids can't do it because like it literally can't track them because they're too short because mm-hmm. of the camera angles. Um, and then I think also, obviously you have, people having difficulty with like not getting sick right and um and that so you can so you're limited in like what amount of time you can do i always think that cg is less um less engaging and less um less kind of like affecting than a physical thing like um i just always would rather be in in the room I do think that there are things like I do think that there are things that VR can teach us and parts of VR that we could potentially use and take apart. I'm interested in where augmented reality is going. Obviously, like I when I use augmented reality and talking about conventioneers, I'm just talking about a story that augments your reality. But like there are new things happening with visors and with um, with 
with basically having digital augmented reality where you're looking around a physical room, but you're seeing, you're seeing digital things happening in it. And that's, you know, it's starting to go places. And I think that, I think that ultimately has, at least for my preferences and my taste, that has more legs for what, for what I think speaks most to people that you can get, that you can get people, you can create, you can create magic in a real space because like VR, you can play at home. Exactly. I was like, I put, I put the mask on and I looked at my friend and I was like, this looks like a, it's a, just, it's a video game, you know? And and then I was like, take me to the theater. Let's see some magic happen (laughs) there. You know? Um, Exactly. (laughs) Were there any other questions in the room? Uh, I got one. If, uh, if going back to the park stuff, if given the opportunity to create any ride or attraction or like themed world inside of a park, what would you choose to make? Oh boy. <laughs> Sky's well, the limit. Oh boy. Okay. I got to do, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this. This was years ago. I got to do like a Disney pitch that wasn't anything official. You can Google it. You can like see it. Cause somebody leaked it forever ago, <laughs> but, um, like basically it was a company wanted uh wanted to be able to do this pitch and I don't know why I'm talking quietly, like I'm being recorded. But um and it got leaked anyway, and it was years ago, so I think it's the company doesn't exist anymore anyway. Um it was uh it was it was basically just like um a Disney resort if Disney was gonna be in Dubai, Disneyland Dubai. Um and so I got to do all the best stuff. I got to like, I got to pitch a jungle cruise where the tour guide has a, has a Wookiee with them and, and they're doing all the banter as though they're translating for the Wookiee. Amazing. Um, it was the most fun. It was the most fun I ever got to have just cause it was like, there's no real limits. Nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> this is a pitch. <laughs> this is a pitch for an off chance. And so if that ends up somewhere, it's like, well, we just threw it at the wall and somebody maybe kept it. But anyway, mm. I, hope I'm, I hope I'm allowed to talk about that. I'm going to just like, I'm just going to assume that nobody I know who would have a problem with it is going to listen to the comics podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. It's not that everybody doesn't listen to your podcast. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, cool. Any other questions, Sarah, Bob? Well, um, yeah. Can, ahead, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, you talked about kind of um, the cryptids. Um, and you know, sort of sending people around to look at, for those as as part of the experience. Have you read any of the Sean and Maguire encrypted series of books? I don't think so. In that case, I will highly, highly recommend them um, because from everything that you said that you'd read, I really, really think you'd enjoy them. And they kind of seem like the sort of thing that would fit in with your sort of conventioners aesthetic. So absolutely, I would massively how recommend you, them. How do you spell that? Um, it's called Encrypted. So it's literally I-N and then capital C, Cryptid. Um, and they're by Sean and Maguire. But essentially, it's about a family who um, have broken away from the organised religion that tries to kill all the cryptids and they kind of look after them a little bit. Um, And the first one is, the first two, I think, are based in New York City. Um, But they're incredibly funny and they have so many different creatures and characters in them that they're absolutely superb. So that sounds like a recommendation. I will definitely go pick that up. Sweet. Bob, did you, you said you... Yeah, I just wanted to jump a little back into, into Goldie. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the wonderful interplay with Sugar Maple in in that volume, where and, and there is the the deep story of sisters and investments and all sorts of things go on. It's this it's this wonderful cross. The, the Nancy Drew is there. We're getting Penelope pit stop and wacky races, <laughs> and and also sort of like film noir going on. How did that get all mashed up together. What, what are your, what are your recollections of that? Um, well, I think a lot of the Penelope pit stop kind of vibe. I feel like I'm trying. I'm going to pull that volume out right now too to look at because I know that a lot of like, especially that cover outfit that Sugar's wearing feels very uh-huh. Penelope pit stop to me, which was um that was a Britney piece of art. But I think that I think that her like initial outfit I think was just a Noah. Just a Noah original, which I love. Just like a lot of Noah's stuff just came back. Like, where even this is so great. All of the all of the jumpsuits are very, very much Noah's um Noah's work. Uh the stuff with um the stuff with sugar in general, uh, and kind of like making like the the kind of having sugar, the friends become enemies, enemies become friends mm-hmm. thing was very much that was that was in that was in what what hope had written in the outline initially, but it was very much what like I was all, all over wanting to just like, let's, <laughs> let's get into this. Cause I, I love that. I love that story. I love when you have an antagonist who isn't really a villain, um, who, who kind of makes that turn to become, uh, to become a friend who maybe you still have a little bit of like banter with or, um, antagonism with a little bit. There's just like a little bit of sass there, but um, I was I was so excited to be able to to dig into that. Um, and I'm trying to remember the the specifics about like what because there were there were a lot of little pieces of mystery that I had to that I had to build out and kind of figure out how best to work. But like the, the like the very the solid skeleton of the story was all was all part of part of what hope gave me um so that uh trying to remember though if red was trying to remember what red's exact origin was i think i'd have to pull out that document um that original document to get a sense of like because it kind of starts to blend at a certain point of like oh i don't know i don't even know i don't know if because there were certain there were certain little story elements that like oh this was a this was a problem I had to solve and I was really that's always that's always fun but there's um, like the radio thing and the transmitter to, to sabotage that, the cars the sort of thing yeah yeah that was one of the things that was a problem that I had to solve that that then I think Daphna also stepped in and and kind of helped tweak because that was a that was a real kind of okay how, how does that actually work so like I think that the idea that the signal had come from from red was in the initial outline but then okay how how does that how does that attach to the car how does that work um that was a that was a big group effort i think wow thank you so much yeah of course of course cool it's exciting to revisit i'm really enjoying like now i'm flipping through again i'm like i love Love goldie it's such a good book um uh, any last questions from the table we are good. This okay. is lovely. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Jackie. Of course. Um, we love your work. Um, and we love hearing all these like crazy theme park stories too. I think it's really awesome having 
you know, these different experiences on the show. Um, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at thatjackieball.com. Sorry, not .com. I don't know why I just threw that in there. There's <laughs> the .com at the end of Twitter and Instagram. It's at thatjackieball. Which Jackie Ball? That one. Excellent. Oh. Um, thanks again for joining us. Uh, to all the listeners, keep an eye out for Jackie's work. It's wonderful and bantery and super, super fun. Uh, you have any upcoming plans that our listeners should know about? Yes, I am going to be at WonderCon in Anaheim this weekend. I'm tabling with Joey, who I mentioned earlier. Um, I will be at table B41, and I will have some copies of Goldie. And I will also have a a special limited edition print that I commissioned from Noah uh, to go along with some of the single issues uh, from Volume 3. So I have issues 9 through 12, and they're going to have a special Noah Hayes original that that you can get if you purchase those. So. That's awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> That's so amazing. Um, awesome. Cool. So anybody in Anaheim, go check that table out. Um, say hi. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. bit of open discussion let's go to space all of us yeah space nuns all righty <laughs> so we have invisible kingdom number one written by g willow wilson art by christian ward and letters by sal cipriano woof all right so I, i'm not gonna lie i tried to sit down and write my own synopsis for this I got about four sentences in and I just went, nope, nope, it's too much. It's too much going on. Uh, So I pulled some stuff from the back of the book and away we go. Set in a solar system comprised of four planets in close orbit, Invisible Kingdom follows the lives of Vess, a pious, rebellious girl who has run away to join an order of, oh God, monastic nuns and Gricks a freighter pilot who once dreamed of putting her skills to use for exploration, not package delivery. When they separately discover evidence that the leaders of the system's dominant religion, the Renunciation, are conspiring with those as its its largest and wealthiest corporation, Lux, they are drawn together from their wildly separate walks of life and must decide whether what they know is worth dying for. Not bad. Not bad. (laughs) All right. So finally, uh, as Sarah and I were chatting off air uh, the other day, I must confess. Actually, I confess to her that on my first read of the issue, it took me a couple of pages to warm to the story. Uh, I believe that part of the reason for this was that I was so busy being floored by Christian Ward's artwork that I found myself losing the thread of Willow's narrative quite easily. Thankfully, there was enough atmosphere and intrigue to pull me back in. 
Uh, I love the way that G. Willow incorporates her own experiences with religion into her stories. She created something real special with Ms. Marvel, and now she's doing a creator-owned space opera featuring a motley crew of interstellar UPS workers and nuns who uncover a plot of corporate greed and deception. Isn't it amazing how these themes are never not timely? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pause. Pause for laughter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, early, it's early in the game. I, I know. Thank you. I was waiting for it. Uh, this is gold, Jerry. Uh, it's early in the game, and I want uh, to give others a chance to speak. But by the end of my second read, I'd found that I really wanted to read more. Uh, um. I'm also glad that G. Willow is back to making comics despite a recent health scare, parental responsibilities, and handing Ms. Marvel off to Saladin Ahmed. It feels good to have her on Wonder Woman and creating books like this one with some of comics's top talent at her side. I loved having her on Ms. Marvel. I'm really excited to kind of watch her spread her wings um, and do even more comic book stuff. Uh, in the future, and I, I think Invisible Kingdom is a uh, is a cool start. So, uh, Sarah, would you like to share some thoughts? I would. First off, I am uh, I'm going to drop someone in it with this book. Um, I was talking to the owner of my local comic shop, and he confessed to me that it took him three attempts to read the book at all, <laughs> um, including one in which he was reading it and then woke up several hours later with the book kind of stuck slightly to his face. Um, and we kind of had a chat about it, and I said, there is so much to unpack in Invisible Kingdom, and it does start quite slowly but they throw so much information at you. I hadn't read the synopsis um, about the four planets and that kind of thing. So I was sort of going, okay, we've got a little bit of anti-purple people racism. Um, and we've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I really loved it. I'm I'm a Christian Ward fangirl. I'm going to admit that I'm sitting here next to a print of his Zatanna. Um, but even through that slow start, I just felt by the end of it, it built up into something really special. And a lot of that for me was because of the art and the use of the panel layouts and some of the splash pages, which are frankly insane. At one point, you get a juxtaposition of a spaceship um, landing on a planet with like outer space in the background next to another splash page of this sort of looming buildings coming mm -hmm. up over this lone figure who is the only piece of color really within the page. Um, and also the use of color in it really jumped out for me, um, especially the purples and the reds at the end of the book. Um, yes, it was a slow start. Yes, I absolutely loved it. Yes, it's going to cost me money because it's going on my poor list now. <laughs> Sold. It, to me, yeah. it reads kind of like when we were talking about the life of Captain Marvel and I was trying to explain how sometimes you'll read a comic book from someone who also writes novels and it it sounds like a novel. The delivery of story kind of feels more like a novel that it does a comic ass comic book. And this is definitely one of those things where I can hear G. Willow's literary voice right. coming through mm -hmm. as opposed to something like Ms. Marvel, where it's a you know, it's a character. Like there are characters in this too, but right now it's about this like grand design of setting up this big space opera story. You need to get 
you need to lay the groundwork before you can really get into like the character beats. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it would work very well as a novel, but the visuals are so good. You know, yeah. like uh, the mm-hmm. Christian Ward stuff. I like, like you mentioned the reds and purples, and I was like, classic Christian Ward. You know, like I miss Odyssey. You remember that? Oh, remember that book? Yes. That book happened. Fraction. That book had that fraction. Yeah, that book happened one time. Um, that was great. It was a really cool first issue. Love Wilson, Love Ward. It was really great. Um, kind of visual journey through these two things and, and where it lands at the end of this first issue, it's like, yeah, I want to read the next one. You know, like I I was, I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know that this was a book. Again, I was out of the loop for a couple of weeks, but once I saw it was on the open discussion and I looked it up and I saw who was the, the, the creative team on it. I was like, Oh my God, I have to read this. Like the pedigree alone, I think is worth, worth checking Mm -hmm. out. So yeah, loved it. It was a great first issue. I'm in too. Right. Uh, Bob. Yeah. yeah, well, thanks to Karen Berger. It's the Berger Books imprint over at, at Dark Horse. Y- you have those two threads we talked about where you have this it's, – it's the religious part. It's the consumerism and how that forms the spine of just an amazing work of world building. It didn't for me. It didn't seem forced or preachy or whatever. It just sort of the two things lay themselves out, and all of a sudden they connect, and that's that's a sort of very jaw dropping moment in the midst of many created by the artwork, which is just so perfect for this story. It is awe inspiring at, at some level. I mean, Christian Ward is one of those people that is cosmic in the grand sense of Kirby in, in his prime and Starlin and those sort of things, but done in this sort of painterly pastelly quality that makes it, it it's otherworldly. It is, yeah. it is that good. Everything and, glows and smears and stuff. Yeah. It, and, and it's as if you're watching it in motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that double page, those two those two pages back uh-huh. to back that Sarah was describing with the the ship kind of crashing down, and then the the girl making her way up to the invisible kingdom, mm-hmm. just absolutely back to back jaw dropping pages. Yeah. We we have twin cliffhangers here. We we I don't know where this is going to go exactly, but how it's already come together. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I'm in. Um, excellent. In. Excellent. I just want to make a, a quick note for a book that I had uh, spoken about last week. It was Little Bird number one. Um, part of the creative team was Ian Bertram from House of Penance. Uh, I read the back of the book because I read it again, and I saw that it's possibly they don't have plans to collect it in a trade format, at least not yet. So if you were at all interested in reading Little Bird, you might want to pick it up at your local comic shop. Uh, and it is available digitally as well. But if you are at all interested in that story and you're kind of like, I'm going to wait for the trade, you might not want to do that because they have not announced plans to collect it once it's done. So just Ooh. a heads up about that. Uh, and it's definitely worth reading. I've read it, I think, three or four times. Um, I've also, I forgot to mention this. I've also started reading uh, Venom again that I feel like I, even if it didn't get nominated for anything, that I didn't at least talk it up. That series is, I love the stuff that Donny Cates is doing with that. I think this is my third reread of the series thus far. Um, I keep going back to it. It's really good. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's hit up a little news 
before we move on to a <gasps> listener question. So, yeah, okay, so this is kind of a big deal because we used to talk about Mr. Jonathan Hickman on this show practically every week. Back Professor Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. Uh, he was, you know, doing a lot of stuff for Marvel and some of his own stuff for Image and everything, and there always seemed to be a Hickman kind of, you know, hiding in the shadows, waiting to pounce on the podcast. <laughs> and we haven't talked about him in ages. And so here we go. Marvel Comics taps Secret Wars writer Jonathan Hickman to revamp the X-Men. This is coming from IGN. Uh, this happened at C2E2. Marvel Comics made an announcement. Uh, and this reads, as revealed at Marvel Com- at Marvel's Next Big Thing panel today, Hickman is writing two new X-Men-themed miniseries, House of X and Powers of X. Uh, well, Marvel isn't revealing uh, much about the plot of either book. The company is teasing the two books. Uh, they will usher the next seminal moment in the history of the X-Men, because of course they will. Of course it is. Marvel's press release, blah, 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 blah. Uh, let me get to... Here we go. House of X will be drawn by Pepe Larraz, and Powers of X will be drawn by R.B. Silva. So there you go. They're going to... Um, they're going to, like, switch hit. Each one is going to be six issues, and so Power of X will come out one week, and then so on and so forth, and they'll alternate uh, for a 12-issue... Tw- thing provided that it can stay on schedule <laughs> I, I wish i wish you all the best perhaps because there are two different artists on it and they've been planning this for what i would imagine is quite a while uh who knows but uh they have it so all right i want to hear from joey yeah. first since you're our yeah. resident x-men fiend I think two things. Number one, I think great. You want Hickman on the X Men? Fantastic. I'm surprised he didn't do it after he finished Secret Wars. He wasn't wasn't on the X Men. He did the Avengers. He did Fantastic Four. X Men was the natural next step, and he didn't do it. Now he gets to do it. Um, I think it'll be on time. X Men crossovers like this are usually pretty good about you know switching off and 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 hitting it like that. Um, I'm excited. I always like reading the X-Men and I think they're in a really good place right now. With that said, I do wonder what that means for what's happening right now. Um, I think Rosenberg, Thompson, Brisson did a really nice job relaunching Uncanny. Um, did some really cool stuff with that. Age of X-Men is fun and weird and different and I was kind of looking forward to what comes out of that. Um, and evidently what comes out of that is Jonathan Hickman's Power of X and eight, whatever the other one is. House X, of X. House yeah, of yeah. X or whatever, you know. Um, we don't know what those things are about. We don't know how they spin out of those things. And I do wonder what it means for the relaunched Uncanny and, and everything that's going off there. Maybe it, it, it probably segues very nicely into that. That's awesome. What then happens after that? Is Hickman writing Uncanny? Is that what's going to happen? Or... Is Rosenberg and I don't know, man. just going to pick up from there? Who knows? I don't know. I'm loving reading the X-Men right now. There's a lot of really cool things going on. Um, I saw a lot of comparisons between Hickman writing the X-Men and Grant Morrison coming on the X-Men back in 2001 or whatever uh, with new X-Men. I think that that is an interesting comparison, but I think Morrison and Hickman, while they are kind of high-concept writers, are not the same. Um, and I, I'll be interested to see what Hickman does with it. Um, great artists. I love the crossover 
tempo of it and um I, i'm more interested in what comes after you know you want to mm-hmm. hit me with a mini series awesome great but uh is he gonna blow everything up and walk away or is he going to stick around <laughs> and write uncanny and adjective list like what's the plan um it's been a rough couple of years so we're finally seeing some some cool stuff coming out i don't want it to just be uh another flash in the pan another flash yeah. in the pan yeah yeah, that was my thought too. Everyone, you know, from what you're saying, the new X books are doing really nicely by the characters and all what's come and trying to reintegrate everything. Jonathan Hickman takes it all upon himself. He's got that whiteboard and he's got years of stories planned out, maybe, but maybe not. And so, as someone who's had their books yanked away from them, I'm a, I am a little concerned for those people really enjoying the X-Men as they are right now after years of neglect in a way. Yeah. Or, uh, so with that said, what is happening right now does feel like a transitionary oh, okay. space, right? I, 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 the Age of X-Men stuff, I think a lot of the recent solicits are saying like they'll be done in June. You know, like there's three more mm-hmm. issues of them. So it does feel transitionary to lead into Hickman – I wonder what comes after, you know, I, I don't want the momentum to stall. How much of age of X-Men are you reading right now? Cause I've been reading a bunch of it and it's getting expensive. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> a lot of them are going to be done in issue four, issue five. Um, I'm reading a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. The only one I'm not reading is like, I think I, uh, the ones that came out last week, I missed like that. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Oh, the new, uh, new X gen was really good. Which one's the X Gen? Oh, is that the new the new kids? The like the yeah. teenagers? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one, yeah. I'm uh, having a growing a fondness for Nature Girl. I like the idea that she smells like the earth. Yeah. And people are starting to complain. <laughs> <laughs> great part of the universe. What do you think? Isn't like isn't Nightcrawler's bam thing supposed to smell like sulfur? Yeah. Yes. Do you yeah. think that's like it's not good for him? For his like popularity with people, does he just go around stinking up the room? <laughs> wow, it's pretty. Cool, I'm just though. asking. I'm concerned. He seems like a really nice guy. Wouldn't want that to you know bench him for any potential friends. <laughs> uh, uh, Tony Stark gave him a little belt buckle. It spritzes out for breeze. Don't worry. <laughs> some 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 uh, Dakar Dakar Noir whatever the hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <bamps> in. <laughs> there you go. All right. Moving on. These are the big questions here. Um, (laughs) Sarah, do you have any thoughts or feelings about this X-Men Hickman business? I have thoughts and feelings about the promotion illustration by Mark Brooks. Mark Brooks is is a fine, fine artist. Has he ever seen a woman? (laughs) (laughs) Like in the real world that has i don't know a spine or clothing that oh, i was only does... looking at the one sitting on the bench i'm sorry you're right <laughs> um yeah so boob socks yeah anyone i just what? boob socks yeah as in like okay when a woman puts a top on it does not automatically mold to the shape of her chest in the way that a sock does on your foot. Oh, That's what's okay. happening in this picture. Uh. Um, 
yeah okay i might like to read hickman on an x book but i look at this promotional illustration and i go well i'm not your target audience so i'm probably not gonna bother because you clearly don't want me to read this book um so that is how um that's how i work unfortunately i don't have a huge comic buying budget and i'm not going to spend it on is that supposed to be emma frost in the black bra top yep with the with the trousers that are so low cut you can actually see her pelvic bones and <laughs> no spine <laughs> she has no spine i've literally stood here for the last 5 minutes trying to stand like that and that's oh really you'll get hurt. hurt don't do that no. That does hurt. Um, and yeah, genuinely, that has just put me off buying the book, which is really sad. But I've got a budget to stick to. And if that's the image that they think is going to sell a book to someone, it's just not my book. It's not for me. Sorry. Good for you. All right. Now that I've brought everyone down. Oh. Yeah, vote with your wallet. That's that's how yeah. they know. That's perfectly all right. I'm looking I at this image right now. See- I'm looking at this image right now, and there's a little baby Havoc. Did you see this? It's the cutest yeah. little thing I've ever yeah. seen. Why is he so small? It's adorable. <laughs> Maybe Sauron had something to do with it. I don't know. He shrunk right. up there. We'll find out. We'll find. When is this, when is this uh, fire going to spark? July. 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 We'll find out yeah. in July. There you go. Hopefully I can avoid that image on a book. I guess I haven't looked at looked at uh, Max Brooks's stuff in a while. Not since uh, Fearless Defenders. Uh, it was not like this one. Mm-hmm. There was trading card covers, right? And they had the the toy, you know, the action figure ones. Maybe they told him to sauce it up. I yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Sarah. I didn't I didn't see it until today, and yeah, it's kind of appalling. All right, I I well, am. There, there are books for me and there are books for other people and yeah. you know I I, I I hope for the people who read this book that they love it but I won't be one of them yeah. I amend my auditory eyebrow waggle when I said <laughs> Max Brooks <laughs> alright who wants to take a listener question me everyone, right, everyone okay sorry I had a sweetie when you asked this question comes from Chris if you were given the chance to make an MCU movie with characters or teams that hasn't been done yet, what character or team would you like to introduce to the universe? I'm going to let Joey go first. Young Avengers. That's it. That's the answer. Done. <laughs> All right. Agents, so since Agents Joey of, took Agents everybody's Atlas, answer. Agents of Atlas would always, already, always also be great. And so would an Invaders film, too. All right. Uh, Sarah, you're going to go last because you didn't bring enough for the class. Bob. (laughs) Okay. Beyond the obvious that I still want to see a real Fantastic Four movie before I die. uh, And we are going to see Ms. Marvel, I think. I've got a couple. I'd love to see Power Pack. Mm, That's a good one. Get get the Power Kids going there. Maybe bring the Future Foundation into this eventually. But I I just love to see that that whole vibe. It's something we haven't seen in the Marvel Universe yet, the the kids. I would love to see... Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Bob. But I would love to see Power Pack done, but uh, done in the style of Into the Spider-Verse. Animated? Yeah, Yeah. fine. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'd love to see Damage Control. Mm. The miniseries about the people who have to clean up when a giant robot falls through the Chrysler building. Well, someone's got to call the insurance companies. They someone's tried doing that up. on TV and it yeah. failed miserably. Right. You need a bigger budget. You really got to do that. But here's the one, I mean, top of the line, what I want to see, particularly now that the Disney Fox deal has now gone through. I want to see in Deadpool 3 the introduction of Jennifer Walters as the She-Hulk doing the whole John Byrne fourth wall breakiness thing that he did long before Deadpool and have the two of them interact in that way and then springboard that into a She-Hulk movie. Oh, living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I also chose Young Avengers. Should have gone first. Uh, that's, of course, America, Wiccan, Hulkling, Kate Bishop, Novar, and Prodigy. Who else do we got here? I got X-Men, Next Gen. There are so many characters that you could have for that, Between like, excluding the teachers. You could have X-Boy, Glob Herman, Armor, Brew, Kid Omega, Magic, Pixie, Gold Balls. Remember Gold Balls? Gold Balls, point, (laughs) point. Gold Balls rules. Blindfold, Rock Slide, Shark Girl, Triage, Dust, Hellion, No Girl, Nature Girl, all of them. Dump them all into a movie. I think that would be amazing. Like a a Mean Girls high school version of the friggin' X-Men, I think would be amazing. And have it a light comedic tone to it. They, They can have fun. They don't have to be robed into some mess and some life-threatening thing. Just make a fun movie. That's my that's my thing. Sarah, would you like to go? Bob stole mine. Oh, which which one? She Hulk. Oh, bastard! <laughs> I just I really really want to see a She Hulk movie, and especially um, in the Captain Marvel comic that Kelly Thompson just put out, like issue three. It just made me want it even more because I really, really want to see Jen and Carol just just hanging out. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't have to be some big the world's gonna end and Jen Waters is the only one who can save it. It could just be, you know, them going on a road trip or just hanging out, doing whatever. I'm fine with that. I just want She Hulk. That's it. Mm. Please. Please. A mighty fine choice. Alrighty. We're getting near to the end of the show, but before we go, uh, Sarah, do you want to tell me what books you're looking forward to picking up this week? <laughs> okay, so, Avant-Garde's number three, Black Hammer Age of Doom number nine, Black Widow number three, Coda number ten, also volume one of that comes out this week for anyone who hasn't picked it up, Fantastic Four number eight, Isola number seven, which has now apparently gone bi-monthly or bi-weekly, I forget. Um, Man-Eaters number seven, Vagrant Queen number six, and Wonder Woman number 67. Hot damn. Nice. Uh, Joey, what do you got? Uh, Invaders number three out this week, Age of X-Men Extremist number two. (gasps) Woo! WWE WrestleMania 2019 special. Let's go. That terrified me. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And also, one more, one more, one more. Glow number one by Teeny Howard. Um, Oh, nice. Based on the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Uh, Teeny Howard just signed a Marvel exclusive contract. Congratulations. I saw that. 
Yep. Woo! WrestleMania. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Bob, what do you got? Uh, also on Wonder Woman, Black Widow, FF, Invaders, Man Eaters, Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur, number 41. Mm-hmm. And we have a new Marvel Rising miniseries coming out this week. Oh. That looks so good. Are those going to be yeah. five five number ones and cost like $1,000 a piece? No, it's number one of five. Well, yeah. you know what comes out this week? Detective Comics number 1,000, $10. Ten, ten bucks with 12 covers. Yeah. Uh, one of which is apparently some weird exclusive that only comes to stores who had a midnight launch party. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right, I, you know how many they have to covers. order of those to get that? Oh, my God. Right. And, and apparently because stores could have their own covers made, the amount of actual covers for this book, it's sort of in the 90s. Great. If you want the whole set, you've got to buy 90 $10 covers if they're all at cover price and not at uh, eBay prices. You know what I recently sold? I sold, I had the entire collection of Walking Dead number 100 of all the covers of that. And uh, I gotta tell you, I got a pretty penny for that. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth holding on to those for sure. Uh, is that all you got, Bob? That's it. All right. Uh, I am going to try Kelly Thompson's Sabrina the Teenage Witch, number one, nice. comes out oh, this week. Uh, Avant Garde, number three. House of Penance, the library edition, Ooh. comes out this week. I really want it, but they I might have to ask them to hold it for me because I don't I can afford that right now. Uh, Heroes in Crisis number seven. Uh, I'm going to pick up the Mera Tidebreaker trade paperback that's coming out. Uh, DC is kind of launching. They have a Catwoman book coming out as well. The artwork looks spectacular. And I love Mera, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to checking that out. Uh, Wonder Woman number 67. Isola number seven. Maneaters number seven. Skyward number 11. Black Widow, number three, Fantastic Four, number eight, Invaders, number three, and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number 41, are my books, and Mr. and Mrs. X. Classic. Yep. Um, I'm now putting holds next to some of these things on the list because I need to start to start paring down, start stop, stop buying things that I'm not specifically reading at the moment yep uh believe me bob nobody nobody needs more comic book buying discipline than i do i have a problem <laughs> i've always had a problem <laughs> bobby bobby unleashed the beast when he asked me to be on the show <laughs> you you've handled it pretty well over the years but there are those flare-ups there's no question <laughs> does anybody have any closing statements or anything they'd like to say before we uh read the stuff I would like to say two things. First of all, I'd like to say hi to Joey's dad, because I love the fact that Joey's dad listens. So hi, Joey's dad. Um, We'd have to tailor uh, announcements for Joey's dad. All right. (laughs) Hi, Joey's dad. Hi. Your son Um, is amazing. And also, assuming that I have the dates written correctly in my diary, I think someone has a birthday coming up this week. Oh, and I think I'd like to wish Mr. Bob Ryer a happy birthday. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's coming up. 25th, yes, he's gone kind of quiet over there. It was the 25th, yes, ma'am. Oh man, it's in my diary.
Tomorrow is the 28th, Bob. When's your birthday? <laughs> I'll change Happy it. Birthday, I'll change Bob. it. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, I I went and saw Captain Marvel for my birthday yesterday. That's a hell yes, of a birthday. Indeed. Yes, that it was a hell of a birthday. Well, happy birthday, thank Bob. You. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. I'm going to buy you a so. drink when I'm over. There we go. We'll it be at our so we'll be at our favorite place. We'll go see Reese's. Oh, by the way, Steve. Yes. I, I was I was there last night. I went for the movie to Reese's. All right. Well, Bob, definitely very happy birthday to you. you. We you, love Sarah. you. Thank and you, Steve. Uh, thank you, Joe. Yeah, you're just uh, <laughs> you're a hell of a friend. It's good to know you. Phyllis. All right, enough of this. No, no, yeah, no, I'm getting all misty. No. Love this mushy stuff. We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for reviews from our fantastic contributors. And don't forget to check out Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure, Ben Disassembled, and of course, the ladies of Valhalla. Bob, yeah. where can our listeners find you? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com Why did I do that? I, oh. <laughs> I am at Joey Ruccino. Sarah. Um, you can find me at Geek Country Lady everywhere that media is social and on the Ladies of Valhalla podcast. <gasps> What's your next podcast about? It's about the 2018 Netflix original movie to all the boys I've loved before. Uh, if you're looking for uh, Jessica, it's Jarsica on all things. I am at dead underscore anchoress. Uh, before everybody waves their goodbyes, I would just like to take a moment of silence and pour one out for I have made the decision that tomorrow morning, quite possibly, I'm going to my stylist and I am killing my beard. <gasps> Wow. That's sinking. I'm taking. I'm. I'm hoping to take several inches off this thing because I look homeless right now, <laughs> and it needs to stop. There are days when it looks really good, and then there are others when I walk past myself in the mirror and I don't even recognize myself anymore. It's real bad. So yes, the beard. The beard that killed everyone is uh, going to be killed. We'll see. Uh, I would like to thank Jackie again for coming onto the show and Joey uh, for getting in touch with yes. her. And bringing her here. Uh, absolutely wonderful guest. We would love to have her back. Um, that really was fun and excellent. I get so wrapped up when we when we have these uh, these really special guests onto the show. She was wonderful. Goodbye. All right. So for Bob. Goodbye. And for Joey. Happy birthday, Bob. Thank and you. Sarah. Happy Wednesday, everybody. And happy birthday, Bob. Happy Wednesday. And happy birthday to my friend Jimmy that I work with. He's a cool dude. All right. Uh, we'll t- catch you next time on the Talking Comics Podcast. To be continued. Let's go. We're ready. Okay, we're talking about poop. Yes. <laughs> She's been taught well. Now, who was at the door? The guy from the bathroom in the movie theater? No, my girlfriend. Well, that's much better than the guy in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm so impressed. <sighs> oh, girlfriend.
She brought home pizza though, so. Ooh. I was like, I'll eat it after we record the show. <sighs> cold pizzas for psychopaths. I eat cold pizza all oh, the time. Cold pizza's great. Oh my god, someone bought me pizza the other week and I literally <laughs> ate pizza for five days. They bought me so much pizza. It was amazing. This was a cold pizzas for psychopaths. <laughs> also, I'm sorry, I'm that's so cold sad. showers are for psychopaths. <laughs> I also do that all the time. Oh, I rest no. my case. <laughs> <laughs>